1: Welcome to another Nim movie mini of a certain film called Ghostbusters 2, or should I call it a entertainment landfill deep dive into Ghostbusters 2? I am the Jason, and I am here with special guest Ken Proventure. Hello, Ken.
2: Hello, Jason. Just let me say, we're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters 2 mini.
1: That's right. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. A deep dive into the landfill. Yes. <laughs> we're here.
1: P- picture a landfill. It's filled with pop culture items from your youth, right? There's uh, Atari Coleco games. There's old coin ops there. There's, uh, you know, VCRs and old televisions and movie uh, VHS boxes. You dive into the landfill. You swim through it like uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck, you know. And you pop up and you're holding Ghostbusters 2 on v- VHS and you're like, I've got it! And that's the film that we're going to talk about today.
2: The gold that has been unearthed after <laughs> after after decades of neglect and you know and oversight and and just and just plain misinformation.
1: <laughs> I'm wondering, have I been misinformed about Ghostbusters <laughs> 2? That's what we're going, going to find out today.
2: Yeah, now I, I should ask you though—you've never done a mini on Ghostbusters one, yeah? Right? <laughs> no, so this, I haven't. <laughs> so, so this is how we're so this is how we're getting into Ghostbusters for the first time through Ghostbusters yep. two, which I'm very tickled by. To be Get
1: honest, on to Go- Ghostbusters two? I think this sprang forth from one day before the show. I Ghostbusters two was on, and I was watching it. And I was like, man, this really isn't good. And then I talked about it on the show And then you sent a voicemail saying Well actually yes it is And, uh, and I was like oh I gotta have a conversation With this guy about this And what's funny is uh, To prepare for the show I've watched Ghostbusters 2 More than I had previously in my life You know I'm gonna say I saw it in the theater And then that was it Until maybe VHS once And then till this week So <laughs> uh Wow, so it's interesting to know that just sitting there watching it, my reaction now is what I'll talk about because I kind of surprise myself at certain moments because you know when you look over your shoulder at the TV and there's a scene on and you're watching it out of context, you're like, "Wow, this is bad," but then when you watch it in context from begin, your know, your focus is on the movie. It's it's different, you know.
2: Yeah, I also saw this. When it came out in the theater, I saw it the Saturday morning after it premiered. And then uh, it was a long time since I saw it again because I, I had a, I was very dismissive. I was very much on, on the, on board with, uh, with throwing this in the, in in, in the dog pile of sequel hell, you know? But then, uh, over the years, I just started being more intrigued about what, like what this was and rewatching it. It just, it just gets better for me. <laughs> and, and, and then Ghostbusters 1 gets worse. There's like a double effect here where things that, anyway, we can get into this, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, and I think partly because it's so neglected that it seems more worthy of conversation than Ghostbusters 1, which is pretty pretty much talked to death, don't you think? Is there, I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about Ghostbusters 1, but is is there anything new to say about Ghostbusters 1 at all, do you think?
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, I always thought the ending of Ghostbusters 1 was pretty flat. That uh, they go from climbing the stairs and then they get there to face the bad guy. And the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is probably the best part of the film. The most memorable part that everyone remembers, that Stay puffed Marshmallow Man. And uh, that's it. It's a, it has a flat, climactic ending, I think. And there There isn't a climax to that film, really.
2: Yeah, it it kind of stops, and I, I had, I was going to say something about this too, that there are long stretches of the last part of that movie where there are just no laughs. Yeah. Because they're setting up all the special effects and the whole, the whole thing with the key master and the gatekeeper and Gozer and all these like shots of doors opening and things exploding, and, and then the whole sinkhole thing where they fall in the sinkhole oh, and then they're. Fi- build up
1: to them <laughs> entering the building and then they fall in a sinkhole.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and you're like just looking at these effects for long stretches. Um, And then uh, and then, yeah, then you have the state fuck man, big laugh. But then they don't really do much with it. And then uh, it then then it just it just ends. And then they have a thing where their Bill Murray is just riffing on the street with with like fans gathered around. And it's just this weird kind of like
1: he's doing the stripes (laughs) ending again. You know, what the ending of stripes, he's like a surprise party. That's what it kind of feels like there.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to say Ghostbusters 2 fixed those things, but I but I but I will say it does it does make Ghostbusters 1 it takes some of the shine off Ghostbusters 1.
1: I got to see the gag of them climbing endless stairs to the top of the building was how we feel as the audience. We're there with them over this going up the stairs like what is the where when are we moving on to the end of the movie, you know? They should have cut that gag out of the movie, I think. Just take the elevator.
2: And there were gags there that seemed to be meant to be gags, but didn't really land. Like when they see the stairs up to the roof, and uh, I think it was uh, Ray who says, "Where do these stairs go?" And uh, and Benkman says, "Oh, they go up." And, and I guess that's supposed to be a big laugh, but but like you say, you you just want them to get up there. You don't want to have jokes on the way upstairs. You just yeah, want to get this over cut, with. up yeah.
1: to upstairs, guys. Come on, stop postponing <laughs> the inevitable. <laughs> And you know what uh, I wanted to get into, when Ghostbusters 2, that summer that this was coming out, there were so many huge films coming out. Seven days Mm. after this film was released was Batman, June 23rd. This came out on June 16th, 1989. June 23rd, Batman came out, and I don't think anyone even thought the word Ghostbusters for the rest of the year, did they? Like, it was just forgotten.
2: That's right. And then, uh, on your own, no, on our own, the Bobby Brown single was knocked off the Bill B- charts by Bat Dance.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I gotta say, rewatching the Ghostbusters 2 now, man, the the soundtrack calls so much attention to itself. It so oh. dates itself.
2: We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, Batman took over every, like Bat Dance. And, and, like it was a thorough trashing of Ghostbusters 2 by Batman. Yeah. It's like, thorough-
1: if, if someone were to ask you, Hey, have you seen Ghostbusters 2? I don't remember. Did you see Batman? That's what the conversation <laughs> went like. How many times yeah. have you seen Batman? Oh, I saw it eight times, you know, cause I, I saw Ghostbusters 2 once in the theater. I saw Batman countless times in the theater, <laughs> and I don't even know why I was seeing it over and over again.
2: <laughs> we'll probably talk about Batman too, because of the of the sequels uh, for that as well. And, uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah, that was the summer. That was the big summer of not just Batman, but also the summer of endless sequels. You know, the the Indiana Jones uh, Last Crusade. Yep. Came out and Star Trek Five.
1: Wow. Yeah. Oh, the bad one, as everyone calls it.
2: <laughs> Directed by William Shatner.
1: Yes.
2: And then Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan.
1: I have a memory of seeing that in the theater for some reason. <laughs>
2: yeah, karate Karate Kid 3.
1: Uh, never saw that, actually.
2: I haven't either. A Lethal Weapon 2.
1: Multiple times.
2: Night, night, Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 5. Lots of Part 5s that summer.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And then the immortal Eddie, the Eddie and the Cruisers too. Eddie lives.
1: Yes. That's so funny. I, you know, I have memory of watching an entertainment tonight where they were talking about these movies coming out this summer. They were calling it like the biggest summer ever. And I believe mm. wasn't, didn't the Abyss come out this summer also? You know, not a sequel, yes. but. Yes. It came out yes. that August. So my mind was kind of filled with all these movies that I had to see. Uh, I was like, I got to see all of them.
2: Yeah, there was also Premier Magazine. I don't know if you read Premier oh, yeah, Magazine back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, and they had these summer preview issues. Which is like a big double issue. And they would try to predict, uh, which would be the number one. They'd rank them, right? Which they expect to be the number one hit. And that summer, it was so crowded. They were just like, we don't know. It could be anything. It could be any one of these movies, you know? Yeah. It was just an avalanche.
1: And looking back on it now, it seems silly that they didn't know Batman was going to be the juggernaut that it was. But yeah. just nobody knew, did they?
2: No, that was a, that, that was a, a one of a kind. I can tell you
1: how nuts I, Jason, was in the summer of 89. I had the VCR hooked up where I was actually recording commercials to Batman, like just TV spots. So I had a tape of like, you know, it would be like, say... Michael Keaton on the tonight show. I record that interview and then I record the Batman spot and then entertainment tonight would be talking about it. And I would have recordings like that on a VHS. And I never thought like, when will I ever rewatch this tape, <laughs> you know, just for commercials, but that's how excited I was for Batman. You know, I was just mm-hmm. like, just like insane. And then I was like insane hyped for, uh, the abyss also. I was nuts about that.
2: Yeah. That was something to see. That was really great to see in the theater.
1: So I was a Ghostbusters fan. I I enjoyed the first film, but it's almost like, yeah, let's go see Ghostbusters 2. Batman comes out next week. You know, it's just like just something to see. And I don't know if I gave this film enough attention at the time.
2: Well, I, I was also a huge Ghostbusters fan. And that was the first movie, I think, that really taught me how movies were made there was a, a great book that came out called making ghostbusters. And uh, it was a, a beautiful uh, thick paperback book, like a, a, like a, like a large size paperback book, which had not, not only it didn't have just articles in it, but it had the whole shooting script and then it had uh special effects drawings and, and, uh, and make and uh, makeup effects and things like that. And they would even say, and they really interviewed everybody. And they said, here are all the things that we did on the set to change the lines and all of this. And, um And it was that movie. Not only did I love it, but it it's sort of getting that book and figuring out how it was made. I got to know, like, how what happens when they make a movie? Things change in the moment that suddenly become, you know, that that joke you laughed at was just Bill Murray improvising something on the set. You know, right. Uh And then the original concept of Ghostbusters, which still blows my mind to this day, that never got on the screen. You know, Dan Aykroyd's whole concept of. You know, we're going to set this whole thing in the pan-dimensional universe, and the Ghostbusters will be these working-class heroes. You know, and we're hardly ever on Earth, and you know, uh, just these wild concepts that never. But then they just said, "No, we have to set this in New, in the real New York." You know, right. Uh which is where I think some of the problems began. But we can get into that in a bit. But yeah, well, I, but yeah, funny. and I have I still have the soundtrack album. Oh, I, nice. I, I listen to that soundtrack album so much. <laughs>
1: That's funny. Uh, what is the uh, Dougie Fresh song "Spirit"? The worst song on the soundtrack. That's what <laughs>
2: <I'm>... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and on the the first soundtrack, the song "Saving the Day." I think that might be the the low, the 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 low mark of that soundtrack album. "Saving the Day," you know "Saving the Day." What's funny
1: is when the Run DMC version of Ghostbusters kicks in. I'm like, why didn't they just play the Ray Parker ver- uh, Jr. version again? But then I thought, well, they need to sell more soundtracks, Jason. Uh, why would you buy a soundtrack with the same song from the first movie? You need to have more versions. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. They need to sell more soundtracks.
2: And there's only so much you can do with the with a title track called Ghostbusters. You know?
1: yeah. And w- one interesting thing, if I can just talk about the beginning of the film, is that the song Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. exists in the movie <laughs> because they're dancing to it at a birthday party.
0: Song. Come on, everybody! something strange in a neighborhood
2: isn't that
1: a little strange
2: (laughs) i i guess because they were international celebrities right so (laughs) so you, you so you would think there would be songs written about them
1: they saved new york (laughs)
2: <laughs> but 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 why that would then be used as a as a nostalgic soundtrack to a children's birthday party i i don't know where that would come from because right. they would have they would have a, like, a recording right yeah uh, and and the kids wouldn't even remember what that's all about because they're like what eight years there's jason reitman you know uh in this you know like little six-year-old right? Jason reitman, and. He, he doesn't know Ray Parker Jr. You know.
1: <laughs> what's funny? Like, did the song chart in that universe, in the film universe? Maybe was did they were was that song sued by Huey Lewis in that world? Also, does Huey Lewis oh. exist in this world?
2: Uh, yeah, but there's no real reference to anything going on in the world, like in the world of entertainment, except yeah. Ghostbusters. Like, the, the only thing on the news, the only thing that's relevant in the world, it's what's happening to or because of the Ghostbusters.
1: That's right, yeah. And they always have to have the sl- one slimeball guy, bureaucrat guy, too, that doesn't believe in the Ghostbusters, right?
2: Yeah, the guy who, who... Yeah, the guy who just won't give them a break. You know, the Kurt Fuller character, you know, as opposed to the William Atherton character in the first one. You know.
1: Yes, uh, or Dickless, as uh, Bill Murray refers to him. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, when this film begins... So much I didn't remember about it when it goes five years later. I was like, wait, what? I don't remember that. But it's five years later after the first Ghostbusters. Was that necessary? Couldn't the movie have just, <laughs> has just started and then we got the idea that, oh, some time has passed here. Does it need a five years later on the front of it?
2: I don't think so, but it does work and because everyone is now different uh, and they have to have some kind of premise for that.
1: They're all in Uh, different places now.
2: And I actually, now we should probably talk a bit about sequels because I feel like this is a special kind of sequel. I I do. I I know we're going to be trashing this movie a lot, which is fine, you know, Um, but I do honestly believe it is better than Ghostbusters one. Okay. I honestly do believe that, it, but its I don't think it's as important. So it's its in the category of sequels that are better than the original, but not as important, uh, if that makes any sense at all. And I i can compare it to something like uh, Temple of Doom, the Raiders of the Lost Ark sequel. I think it's better than Raiders of the Lost Ark, but not as important. Or like uh, Batman Returns. I think Batman Returns is better than the first, but not as important
1: well because yeah the the first film introduced us to the ghostbusters and we know what it is and then say boom the sequel now they can tell a story because we already got the origin story i guess
2: yes and we can start with the with the gas pedal on and then we don't have to bother with laborious introductions of you know who these people are which in the first movie they're introduced as as normal as you can introduce these characters and that's part of the issue with Ghostbusters 1 they try to make everybody really normal and relatable and you know they're these academics and they're not they just seem like just uh college academics who are a little mischievous you know um but in Ghostbusters 2 it's sort of like we start with the world is is just completely uh lopsided nobody is normal nothing is normal and the 5 years later i think just helps us think all right whatever it's 5 years later which just the world is just whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> you, know, you know what i'm saying it just doesn't matter it's 5 years later let's just pick up uh wherever we want and these characters can be whoever they want uh and i think i like them better in ghostbusters 2 the way they're set up you know the way you've got venkman with his tv show you got ray with his bookstore you've got you know egon with his Whereas, at? I have this written down here, the Advanced Institute for Theoretical Research. (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would like that, (laughs) yes. And, uh, yeah, and to me, that's where they should have started, you know, in these weird, they're weird from the start.
1: I did like uh, Bill Murray's uh, strange talk show that he had a guy on there predicting the end of the world would happen on New Year's Eve.
3: Milt, your new book is called The End of the World. Now, can you tell us when it's going to be, or do we have to buy the book?
0: Well, I predict that the world will end at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve.
3: This year? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cutting it a little bit close, isn't it? I mean, just from a sales point of view, I mean, your book is just coming out. You're not going to see any paperback sales for at least a year. It'll be at least another year before you know whether you've got the miniseries or movie of the week kind of possibilities. I mean, just devil's advocate, Milty. I mean... Shouldn't you have said, "Hey, the world's gonna hey, end wait, in 1992"? Wait or wait a or better hey, yet, 1994. This is not just some money-making scheme, all right? I have a strong psychic belief that the world will end on New Year's Eve. <sighs> well, for your sake, I hope you're right. Thank you.
1: The uh, funny thing there is, he's predicting that he's truly predicting the end of the world, and that's what's going to happen if Vigo gets his way, right? On New. Oh my!
2: God, you know, I never thought of that, Jason. So I never that, thought of that.
1: That guy Are really you... <laughs> psychic.
2: <laughs> it's a payoff. It's Chekhov's. Uh, it's Chekhov's gun.
1: Yep. The, just... <laughs> the guy correctly was predicting the end of the world. <laughs>
2: uh but now did the uh did the, did the lady who um, was visited by the alien was she predicting anything as well or was she I just a crackpot
3: elaine now you had another date in mind
2: according to my source the end of the world will be on february 14th in the year 2016
3: valentine's day bummer where'd you get your date
2: elaine
1: I received this information from an alien crackpot, yeah,
2: the world of the psychic. I love this show in fact, that should be a that should be a movie itself the world of the psychic yeah,
1: I thought bill Murray was he was so Bill Murray in this introduction, wasn't he just the way he's looking at the camera
2: like, <laughs> oh my god when when uh when she is talking about being meeting the alien at the bar and it, and he looks to the camera just off to the side and it is a classic murray expression that cracks me up it's perfect It just cracks me up because he knows he knows not only that she's full of it but he's actually also full of it for hosting this show yeah. and then he looks at the audience as if to say and you know i'm full of it <laughs>
1: yeah
2: and, and but this like, is what you want and uh, <laughs> I like the you know a bit
1: about like uh, hairless cats pretty weird yeah. huh
2: weird <laughs> yeah oh no and he says and he says give me ira
3: give me ira careless pets
2: weird um but we, di- we didn't talk about the very opening though where yes. we uh, well we, we should talk about the uh dancing to ray parker jr but remember how the, the movie's trying to establish that new york is a is a cesspool
1: of yeah negativity people nagging each other
0: can have this ticket and keep it. Stop I'm not paying that ticket. Stop, do stop that! Ooh, Jesus! Jesus!
1: Jesus. Watch where you're going! Honking, yeah. yelling at each other, and there's Dana pushing her baby Oscar, just kind of yeah. oblivious to it all.
2: And and you notice how that's not shot very interestingly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like this this like steady cam shot of the street and it's follow it shows you three things in sequence. You see like a guy with a parking ticket yelling at the meter maid and then you've got uh someone yelling at someone else and you just like and they're trying to establish that like this is just a, a city of hate, you know. Not a lot of visual flair, and then the baby carriage goes berserk, but then not a lot of visual flair either. You think something like that should be more cartoony? Just this, uh, this baby carriage just rocketing through the streets, you know?
1: I think my problem with the beginning of this film and some of the sequences are when you think of someone directing a film, I always imagine them, you know, laying awake at night in in bed, thinking of these incredible shots, the way to open the movie. And there's mm. absolutely nothing special about the way this movie opens.
2: You know, I know. And, and this, I think my point about sequels now, I'm going to I'm going to put my put my finger on it right here where this is not only the sequel that's better than the original, but not as important, but it's directed by the same person who did the original. Yes. And, and what makes these other sequels I mentioned so much better than the original. And I'm talking about temple of doom and Batman returns and even like gremlins two, which is that the di- same director now between the two movies, uh, like the first movie, the director was really trying to prove himself. You know, if you look at each one of those movies, Raiders of the lost dark and gremlins one, and you know, batman it's it's that it's the director trying to prove something you know can i make a big hit can i do a franchise movie you know spielberg needed to come back like it was a comeback movie for him and and so they had to prove something but then for the sequel in between the movies they managed to do other big hits and so with this when the sequel comes around they had the power to do what they wanted so they had nothing left to prove you know so they were able to just go nuts, which is why I like those sequels so much. And you say, talk about the opening sequence. Well, you look at Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It starts with this amazing musical number, yeah. you know, the Anything Goes in the in the nightclub. Before you even see Indiana Jones, it's like you've got a spectacular entertainment just from this uh dance, this musical sequence. And then with like Batman Returns, you have this whole... Opening credit scene with the, with the, uh, with, uh, Pee Wee Herman and, uh, with, their, with the birth of the penguin and all this, just these amazing visuals of the, you know, the birth of the penguin and, um, the music is wonderful. And you just get a sense that these directors, they're really just doing what they want, you know? Yeah. And, and really delivering the talk the best they could do, you know? Because they had the power, they had nothing to prove, they could do what they wanted. With Ghostbusters too, it's like, Ivan Reitman could have done whatever he wanted and yet, (laughs) and yet you get this bland, like just nothing really visually interesting. And this is why I make Ghostbusters 2 a very special sequel because it's, because what makes it better is not the director. (laughs) What what makes it better is not the vision. You know, what makes it better are the people in it and what they're able to do. And they don't have anything to prove. Like, yeah. they can do what they want. Just watching these performances, they're freer, they're more freewheeling, they're just more fun to watch. Uh, and you just wish the camera would just let them do what they want. Um, but that's what I really get from Ghostbusters 2. You really, uh, I think the performances are so much better.
1: You know, it is uh, funny when you think about the opening to most sequels, blockbuster sequels. It's Ghostbusters 2, and the effects in the opening scene is a what do you call a stroller rolling mm. through traffic, probably being pulled on a string, but there's like no CGI or animation in that scene at all. It's just people going whoa, oh, and cars, you know, stuff like that practical stuff. But it's so funny when you think, think about it, like you're supposed to have more effects and more visuals and like, but they open the scene with Sigourney Weaver chasing a stroller through traffic. <laughs> And then when she catches up to her baby, we don't really, you know, we're seeing this film for the first time. Say we don't know what the plot is. All we know is the buggy, the stroller, it ran through some goo. And she chased it through traffic. She stops. She picks up her baby. And also, nothing better at the beginning of a film than uh, a baby in harm's way, right? (laughs) She picks yes. it up, and then the Ghostbusters theme starts, and it's like, oh, this was paranormal. I gotcha. Okay. You know, cue up the song. Dun, 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 dun. And then it cuts to the Ecto uh, driving through traffic, and you're like, they're on their way to see Dana now. She called them, right? And they even get out of the car, and it's uh, Ray and Winston. They're strapping on the proton packs, and they go inside but they're there for a birthday party
2: <laughs> oh but but jason but there is steam coming out of that ectomobile that is yeah. a honker at this point it is a honking piece of junk yeah there's a
1: lot of smoke coming out of it and uh the kids they just want to see he-man Have fun! Yeah And I guess one thing I thought of is like, do they have a guy dressed up in like a muscle bound suit that goes to birthday parties as He-Man? <laughs> if that's what they were expecting.
2: Oh, good point. Yes. Uh I would have loved to have seen them suddenly say, You want He Man, you got him, and just Ray just rips off his uh his shirt and you know we see his flabby, you know, torso and <laughs>
1: What's funny is uh, the mom is played by the therapist from Lethal Weapon. Did you notice that? The one that always wanted to oh. give Riggs therapy, but he would always make a joke of it.
2: No, but this movie is packed with cameos that, uh, that and that's just another one added to the list. Yeah. Oh my god. And of course, the little kid. Jason you, know, Damon.
1: you know, my dad
3: says you guys are full of crap. Jason. Well, gosh. some people have
2: trouble believing in the paranormal.
3: No, he just says you guys are full of crap, and that's why you went out of business.
1: What's funny is Jason Reitman has, I think, completed principal photography on the new Ghostbusters film that's supposed to come out in the future, and so Ivan Reitman's son has taken over the Ghostbusters oh. duty of directing.
2: Oh, how nice for them!
1: Will he have that keen director's eye that his father has?
2: <laughs> he was he was he was learning at his, at his father's knee.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Or, or at his father's video monitor. <laughs> What's
1: funny is uh, Ivan Reitman. He came from twins, like just wrapped twins, and then he went on to Ghostbusters too. So it's quite a filmography mm-hmm. he's got there, isn't it?
2: There was a, there were hits though. They were big hits, and yeah. he basically. I, I think he was just basically directing traffic with Ghostbusters too. Yeah, he, he just. Was, yeah,
1: that's another <laughs> thing. Is in these type of films, can you tell when they're just seeing script or when? Oh, this is obvious, an impro- improvised scene. They're just kind of all going off, playing off each other here. Can you tell, usually?
2: No, not all the time. No. But, you know, sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah. Like, I, I know the Ghostbusters reboot had a lot of improv because they would I just... I think
1: it was all improv. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, they were just, well, the conversations would just go beyond their plot function. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, and there wouldn't be really much wit to it. Well, there would be some wit, but mainly just mm-hmm. vulgarity. And, you know, if, 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 you've ever been in these acting exercises, you, you can sense when, when people are just making things up because they get louder and, uh, and, and things come out that don't really match their character they're playing. Right. You know, and, and, and it's just a sense of pace. Like things have slowed down a bit and you just kind of, but with this movie, I feel like, I mean, Ivor Reitman, give him his due. He knows how to, he, he knows how to make a movie efficiently. Yeah. So I, so I never felt like we were sitting with actors who were indulgent. This movie is a very indulgent, but I think it's indulgent in a, in, a, in a good way. It's not indulgent with effects, for sure. The script is like the best you can do before you actually get there and find out how it's really going to
0: feel when you're doing it. Right. So we start every shooting day by taking the script we've got and reading through it. Uh, the crew is sent out. We sit down on the set. We read through it and we go, this will not work. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's too long. It's not funny enough. We need to joke here. We can lose this. We can play the whole scene in half the time. And then we start uh, using our improvisational skills and writing, not, not ad-libbing while the camera's rolling, but preparing what we're going to say in the, in the upcoming scene. And so do you find that some of the best scenes are improv? Yeah. Not mm-hmm. ad-lib, not spot, not, although Bill will take some liberties. <laughs>
3: is rolling but it's sort of guided improvisation planned Uh
0: improv
1: yeah also when you read about the making of this film it sounds like harold Ramis and dan Aykroyd, you know they wrote the script it was like they had to please bill murray to get this made like dana and peter aren't married Uh, they've broken up and she actually married another guy she had a baby with him and now she's divorced. So now she has a baby, but it's not Peter's kind of a thing. Mm. And I was, part of that made me think that they probably wrote it where they were together and they had a baby. But he was probably like, no, no, no. Peter's not married. Uh Make it so she's divorced. And it's like, oh, okay. Let's make that known in the script. It's just like, why? But okay. <laughs> you know? It's fine, but I just wonder that different things. One of my main problems also is like in the first film, I thought Egon and Janine had all this chemistry, but mm. in this film, they're like, no, 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 Janine and Lewis. Lewis, oh, that's-, that's one of my
2: favorite things about Ghostbusters too is that couple, the nerd, the nerd couple. They have the you know the, the groovy hipster from from the village that's Janine now, and then the nerdy accountant. I I think they. Or one of the best things about Ghostbusters too, their their chemistry is really. I will say, I, this, I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> my favorite scene in the entire film involves Lewis, and I think that Lewis Tolley is needed desperately in this yes. film. more. He needed yes. To have some importance in the film.
2: Absolutely, yes. But but, but now you mentioned the backstory that the, the what what happened during the five years, things happened to these people, and and uh, and none of it is really funny. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely. Things have happened, and I like how Egon uh, Egon puts it to Dana. He says about Peter, he says he was borderline. Peter, well, he was borderline for a while. Then he crossed the border. Then he crossed the border. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Because that's the one thing. She wants Egon's help because she senses something paranormal happened here. Could he investigate it? But one thing, don't involve Venkman. And he's like, okay. And what do you think of that scene where he's got the little meter and he's like, and he kind of turns around and he scans her (laughs) and it's like, does he ever mention me? No.
3: Well, we, we didn't part on very good terms. And then we sort of lost track of
0: each other uh, after I got married.
2: What is that about? Well, I think he's, he's, he's in his own little, uh, experiment about the effect of human emotion on the surrounding thing. But yeah, um, I, all, they kind of play up
1: that all these guys think Sigourney Weaver is so hot, right?
2: She's in a whole, she's in a whole different universe from them. She is way above them in every respect, even height.
1: Yeah. Peter (laughs) Vinkman is so like out of her league. That's why it's funny that she pays attention to him at all. Mm. But there's this line where you know he's studying uh anger in this room this couple that's having trouble and they're in a room where they raise the temperature
3: I'm trying to determine whether human emotions actually affect the physical environment. It's a theory Ray
1: and I had when we were still ghostbusters. And then in the next room they have a little girl with a puppy and uh Harold Ramis he delivers this line saying, "Let's see what happens when we take away the puppy." But I thought yeah. he could have delivered that line so much better if they did another take like hmm what if we took away the puppy or something i just felt like the line wasn't delivered correctly to me as i watch it but
2: mm. now well we, we we forgot one of my favorite lines from ray uh, after the kid scene when they're leaving the building uh with their with their cash from from basically being being humiliated into you know submission by these children and then uh ray refers to them as grateful little yuppie larva
1: Yes. That's like a quotable scene. Uh, That's like a drop right there.
2: And uh, yeah, it's a little dated that term yuppie. Yeah, but spot on. Yeah, you like sense the class resentment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I—that's what I like about Ray, especially. He's very like blue collar, like working class guy. That's what the Ghostbusters are really. They're kind of failed scientists. I don't know what this Institute of Theoretical Science is or where he gets his funding or how it has such a like a prominent yeah. placard on the front of it, but the science he's <laughs> studying seems ridiculous on the inside.
2: But what? Well, yes. What, what, what corporation is, is funding this? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. Okay. He's
1: studying human emotion in environments, but that ends up being what the movie's about with the slime also, right? Mm. How human emotion affects the slime. So they got a, kind of got a thing going on here.
2: Yeah, lucky for us, that's what Egon's up to. You know. And I like but, uh, that
1: Ray has his own occult, occult bookstore. Can I say that word correctly? Occult, occult. bookstore.
2: Good line when he's uh, when there's a customer leaving the store. That's how they establish the store. And Ray just says, uh,
0: "My best to the coven."
1: <laughs> yes, I thought that was funny. I didn't catch it the first time. I caught it the second time. I thought that was funny.
2: Yeah, that's where Ray should be. Ray, and now Ray is just. He should be this really uh, isolated, you know, obsessive guy. Not a lot going on except his own, like, uh, pan-dimensional, you know, consciousness. And, uh yeah, yeah. The, the movie gets that much better, I think, than the original.
1: I love that Ray and Egon just get each other, you know? Mm. these two guys just get each other. And I'm not sure why Peter is friends with them <laughs>
2: at all. Well, Peter, well, they established that Egon and Peter, what Egon says, because Dana says, have you seen Egon uh, Peter recently? And Egon says, Nope, not for years. Like Peter just left. He just, he just zoomed away. He he went straight to cable access TV, to, to public access television. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I would totally watch that show if it was on the air too, just because what a train wreck it was, but it seems like uh, maybe, uh, She's out of Peter's league, or Peter's out of her league is what I meant. Maybe he felt that way too, so he kind of sabotaged their uh, relationship.
2: Uh, well, it, there's a whole shadow thing here, like, and you, you mentioned it earlier about the back, you know, how this movie was made, and it all depended on Bill Murray. And really this whole, a lot of this movie revolves around Bill Murray's character, right? Is, mm-hmm. is he, is he going to redeem himself? Uh, and that became the Bill Murray persona when, when he came back after basically going into uh, exile to France for four years after the Razor's Edge was a huge yeah, plot. So he goes off true. to France and then comes back and then he makes, and, and then he decides to, to have this persona of I was once this, this asshole who didn't care about anybody, but now I do care, but I'm not going to lose my edge.
3: I'm a man. I'm sensitive. I need to feel loved. I need to be
2: desired. So he keeps his edge, but now he fills himself with, with I don't know what you call it. I don't know what you call it generosity. And so, and so this backstory of where he, what happened to him, uh, you sense that he had some kind of experience where he became a different person. But then in, on World of the, of the Psychic, he is completely the Peter Venkman from yeah. Ghostbusters One, right?
1: What do you think of that line he says to Oscar when he's alone with him, and he says, "You know, I." I should have been your father. I mean, I could
3: have been.
2: He's very passive-aggressive. He's very passive-aggressive. He says, you know, he says, you're an ugly baby, just saying, you know, because your father must have been inferior to my looks or something like that.
1: He's like, you smell. Did your dad smell?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's ugly. I mean, he's not Elephant Man ugly, but he's not attractive. Was his father ugly? Don't listen. And he stinks. You're right, senor. Did his father stink? yeah daddy was a smelly huh what's your name
0: his name is oscar
2: oh
3: named after a hot dog you
2: poor man but he has this like he has the way of making you like him even though he is a jerk yeah very few very few comedians can do this you know
1: that's true yeah
2: is there something about his his salesmanship that is sort of transparent like He's sort of selling you something while making you think he's selling me something. And we're all in on the joke. So he can be as rude as he wants because I'm not buying any of this. So, so, so we're just going to play this out. And you'll, you'll say the most outrageous things you can. But I'm just going to keep laughing because I don't take you seriously. And you know I'm not supposed to take you seriously.
1: That's what's funny is we live through Dana's the way she reacts to him. Like, when he first shows up, she's kind of like, ugh. But then she, like, immediately kind of is succumbing to his charms again. Well, I know I'm just
3: asking for the big hurt, but I thought I'd give us one more chance. He he tortured me. He pulled my
2: ears. Hello, Peter. Hello, Dana. They are are not a good couple.
1: (laughs) No. I
2: don't (laughs) know what she sees. Do they have chemistry at all? I don't think so. I mean... I mean, she says to him at that we're getting ahead of ourselves. But at that dinner, she says, you are the kindest man or something like you're just the kindest man. And you're better than she, she says, oh, you're 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 kinder. You're much better than you realize. So it's like she's like the the she's supposed to be the supporting presence in his life that makes him better. Yeah. But the thing is, as viewers, we don't want that. We don't want him to be a better person. <laughs> you know what i mean like if he was more like her he'd be less funny
1: yeah that's true if he, <laughs> and he tries to play it straight you know he goes to a fancy restaurant with her later
2: yeah but so is- it's weird so it's a weird kind of like like an 80s movie about yuppies who had to con- who had to convert you know mm-hmm. they had to find out what was important in life which is not money or you know riches it's about you know family or whatever you know So, like, Peter, he's got to have a conversion story. He's got to find out, oh, I can't just be an asshole my whole life, you know?
1: Yeah, but I don't know Uh, if he does this film give him a journey? Like, his character is one thing at the beginning and different at the end, or is he just the same uh, through the whole movie?
2: No, here's the thing. I think the five years later gets at this. I think he's had a journey.
1: Oh, he had had a journey. (laughs) Yeah.
2: and, (laughs) And now, and now he's different. Mm-hmm. But he but he doesn't want to lose his he, but he hasn't lost any of his edge or his spontaneity or his like uh his ability to charm yeah uh, but at the same time he is he is a different person and and there's something subtle going on there, and I think this is another reason why I prefer this movie to Ghostbusters One, which seemed to me like just a continuation of what he was doing in stripes you know in meatballs yeah uh whereas. With Ghostbusters 2, he was trying on something new, playing scenes with a baby, for example. Yeah, I thought
1: those scenes and were he, great with
2: Oscar. And he, he actually, yes, and he pulls it off. I mean, he, he does it. He makes you enjoy just the way he's like saying, oh, I've got some Laura Antonelli tapes we can watch later. It's like, no, you're not going to watch Laura Antonelli movies, but just the fact that he says it.
1: Is it bad know? that I Googled her name when I saw that line or heard that line? I got some Laura Antonelli tapes if you want to watch them.
2: Oh, you've never seen those uh you've never seen those movies from the uh, <laughs> no. from the the, the the naughty Italian movies. From I the-
1: guess I have not I didn't know who <laughs> she was. What's funny is there okay, is this a funny line when Egon tells Peter to get a stool sample and he goes, "Benjamin, would you
3: get a stool specimen, please?" Business or
2: personal?
1: What does that mean? <laughs>
2: Some lines in this movie make no sense.
1: That's why I feel like it was an improv scene, and they were just like, yeah, that's pretty funny, I guess. But a line I do like in the movie is when Egon said that they had no toys as he grew up. And he goes, oh,
2: yeah, yeah, that was good. My parents didn't believe in toys.
1: Yeah, and he said, well, (laughs) come on, you didn't even have a slinky?
3: We had part of a slinky, but I straightened it.
2: I thought that was a funny line. (laughs) It's a funny image. Yeah. It's a shame. And, and, and waiter, a joke that made no sense to me. And I really thought about this more than I probably should have when they're talking about the slime and how it's, how it feeds off the vibes of, of human emotions. And, uh, and Ray is explaining this and, and using the analogy, he says, You mean this stuff actually feeds on bad vibes? Like a cop in a donut factory. Yes. Like a, like a cop in a donut factory. And I'm like, Wait, wait, and I had, I literally stopped and I, and I had to write that one down and say, is the joke like, cause the mood slime is responding to human emotion. Is Ray saying that in a donut factory, if a cop walks in, the donuts will start responding physically to the emotions of the cops. (laughs) I just thought (laughs) it was (laughs) like,
1: he meant a cop in a donut shop. (laughs)
2: Well, but no, that doesn't make sense either. Like, when you when a cop walks in... I understand the joke about cops and donuts. Yeah. I under, I get that. Cops like donuts. That's funny. Well, all right. It's a gag. But a cop in a donut factory is not analogous to the mood slime and how right. the slime reacts to human emotions. It it was so,
1: an improv scene, and they kept it in the
2: movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Ray, your analogies are breaking down on me. The, the Twinkie worked better in Ghostbusters 1, I thought, as an analogy to...
1: Okay, when Egon says... I'd like to run some gonological tests on the mother. And Peter says... Who wouldn't? Is that gross? <laughs> is that kind of gross?
2: That's not a joke I'd want... Uh, if I was watching this movie with a kid, I would not want a kid to say, what did that mean? Uh, and I would have to explain it. That's,
1: to an, that's another thing is this movie is made for kids. They made this for more childlike audience. That's what I've read, people say. Uh, because the cartoon was a big hit on TV. I can't believe that a studio would pay attention to what a cartoons doing on TV at all. But uh, mm. one thing that I do know is there. It takes a while for you to see them do some ghost busting, like a long time. There's a lot of bored kids in this audience.
2: <laughs> don't I? I yeah. It, well, but like I said though, I don't mind that. I don't mind that these special oh, effects yeah. are junk, are junky. I don't mind that they're quick and we don't linger on them. I don't really mind. I just like hanging out with these weirdos. You yeah, know, there it's are just actually some
1: effects in this movie that are good that I think still hold up, but there are some that are really bad too.
2: Yeah. And, but it's like pleasantly bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, let's just get through, you know, it's not like, uh, in Ghostbusters one where you're kind of just, it, it was a different company, a special effects company was different, different cinematographer too. And I just felt it's stiffer. Like Ghostbusters one, the effects are they're more they're more like I keep using the word labored, but they're more the they're more just trying to show off itself, and yeah. there's no there's no real style to them. It's just kind of matter of fact, like this is happening and this is happening. And
1: you know what? One thing I forgot to ask about is at the very beginning of the film, when the Ghostbusters logo comes up, and it's the animated ghost that says two. Mm. That looks so grainy and crappy on the version <laughs> of the movie I saw. Why does it look so bad?
2: <laughs> I don't know, but I love the logo, the fact that they needed to announce we are like in the movie itself.
1: Yeah, it's That so
2: logo weird. becomes their official logo to say we're back.
1: It's like the the theme song exists in the movie, but also their po- poster that's on the movie poster is in the movie too. I don't understand. <laughs>
2: It's just and the ghost and the ghost is really happy on the, yeah. in the logo as opposed to the one that's sad being captured in the first logo. Now the now it's cool. The, the it's almost like the ghosts are happy to be in jail.
1: Yeah. I'm they're back and they're going to capture me. Yay. <laughs> okay, so the Ghostbusters, the boys, they go out to drill a hole in the middle of the street, pretending to be construction workers, and that's where they find a river of slime.
3: Who told you to stop cuts? Tell you to stop cutting? What are you guys doing here? You tell him to stop cutting? Yes, I told him to stop cutting. What are you doing? What's it look like we're doing here? Why don't you let us
0: work? We let you work. Hey, take it. He's been working overtime. i tell you why we're here. We're here because some
3: diaper back downtown's been a jerk. I'm making this work on a Friday night. Am I right, Peter? Well, of course
1: you're right, Raymond. Is he right? Ziggy? Yo. I do like the idea of the slime coming to life and how it was like going up towards him.
0: Uh, okay, boys. Boys, uh, pull me up now. All right. Is some kind of activity going on with this stuff? Boys, hey, help! Take me off!
3: Ray! start, start. Boys, hey, what's going on up there? Come on, get me out of this hole! Ah!
1: I thought that was good. Kind of have a like a scary kind of factor for a little bit there. <clears throat> it was it was fun to see maybe Ray in a little bit of jeopardy, you know kind of get something that like they're in danger a little bit, but it was all about them getting arrested, right because one thing that I need to establish that I don't think we've mentioned that because of the incident from the first movie, they have been stripped of all their ghostbusters' powers they're not allowed to be ghostbusters, and in fact they uh build them some insurmountable amount of money that they can't pay, I assume, or maybe yeah. they did pay and lost their business, but yeah. they're not allowed to be Ghostbusters.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the Treaty of Versailles and they're Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Reparations are, are strangling their business, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I don't know what you thought of that, the, and the fact that now, the well, they were in the first movie, they were front page news, and they saved the world, correct? Right. And there were thousands and hundreds of thousands of witnesses to this. Yeah. And now five years later, we've it's all forgotten. That's that stretches the bounds of reason to bursting point for me. I just don't I don't buy it at all. And I think that's a problem.
1: Yeah. There's even a part where after uh, Peter comes off his show and he's yelling at his producer, the mayor walks by and goes, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor. And the guy, the assistant guy is like,
0: I'm Jack Hardemeyer. I'm the mayor's assistant. I know who you are, Dr. Bankman. I just don't see any ghosts anywhere. <laughs> well, that's why
3: I wanted to talk to his highness. See, we did a little job for the city a while back, and we got stiffed on the bill by some bureaucratic bookworm like yourself.
1: Kind of like <laughs> making fun of him. And it's just like, God, he saved New York. Why you don't know, give him any respect? But they're just like a joke to everybody.
2: Yeah, but, but you know what? This is how much I am on the side of Ghostbusters too. This is how far I'm willing to go. That points to a problem not with Ghostbusters 2, but with Ghostbusters One. Mm-hmm. The, because Ghostbusters One, the original concept was that they weren't going to be celebrities. They were basically going to be working in their like off the grid. Yeah. Just saving the world without anyone knowing. And and I think Men in Black ripped this off a little bit. Like oh, but God. they solved but they solved that problem, which is how do you there how do you have so- characters yeah. running a business, saving the world, but the world, you know, you, the world can't know about this, right? So we have to erase their memories.
1: Yeah, they're a secret um, government organization, and we erase their memory. So they're taken care of. Yeah,
2: kind of thing. yeah. men in like black solve that problem. I like because that they're kind of like
1: exterminators, you know?
2: Yeah. And, and, and all their work is unsung because, and that, you know, no one appreciates them like we do, you know, that would be so much better than what happens in Ghostbusters one because they had this whole thing. Well, well, now we have to set it in New York. They have to be real people. We have to, we have to identify with them. They have to be here, normal people, you know, so we set it in New York and, and, but then if you set it in the real New York, then you have all these consequences and uh real, real, in the real world, these re consequences, that then make no sense when you yeah. get into, you know,
1: I mean, I can understand pe- some people not believing what they saw, like, oh, that didn't happen or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> get what you're saying.
2: What- yeah. So the, so Ghostbusters one sets up a situation that simply cannot uh, make any sense in any, because the Ghostbusters would not be simply running their business without having the world, like the fact that people don't believe in ghosts. Once that is overcome and you've proven it through this business that catches and keeps ghosts, wouldn't everyone's mind be blown by this? And wouldn't like wouldn't the world come to a stop?
1: The world (laughs) would have changed somewhat.
2: Yeah, but instead it's just like oh, this corner of the Upper East of 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 the Lower East Side of Manhattan is now running this business running ghosts, and they make they make it on the cover of Time magazine. But that's as far as it goes.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that is funny. It's just kind of like forget about all that. This is the sequel. Just come on, let's go. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so now the sequel is burdened with this unsustainable premise, uh, and I think they do what they can with it, and I and that's fine with me. I I will forgive it all of those flaws. The fact that okay. They forgot everything the Ghostbusters did in the first movie. I am fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Because it never made sense in the first place, you know.
1: By the time this movie ends and like pretend that there was a Ghostbusters 3, I would have loved to have seen them be like the fire department. They have government jobs. They work for the city as Ghostbusters. The mayor, he vouches for them and they work for the mayor. And that's it. I could have seen that and there doesn't have to be them against the man anymore. It could be them just kind of like solving some kind of crises or something.
2: That villain character of the, the stuck up suit wearing, you know, elitist, the one who follows the rules, you know? Yeah. To to me, that's such a college comedy uh, stock character. Yeah. That that by 1989 is so outdated. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The guy who won't loosen up, you know, the tight ass that, and now you just, it's a college comedy stock character that just doesn't, I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah.
1: Let me ask you about the Vigo scene. When it cuts to the museum, we barely know Yanosh.
2: Okay, we will, we will get to Janosch.
1: <laughs> well, they're, when they're there, when uh, Ray is being pulled up from the slime, they cut to the museum and without... Setting the tone or anything, you just see Janos get zapped.
0: Listen to me.
3: What? Who? I, Vigo, the scourge of Carpathia, the sorrow of Moldavia, command you. Oh, command me, Lord. On a mountain of skulls, in the castle of pain, I sat on a throne of blood. What was will be, what is will be no more. Now is the season of evil. Evil? Find me a child that I might live again. Yes,
1: a child. A child. A child? And he's like, oh! And he's like, um, uh, Vigo is talking to him about bringing him a baby. And I just, <laughs> when I watch that, it happens so suddenly. There's no, like, subtle, like, building. There's no, like, just kind of set the tone. Show the room. Show how scary it is. The painting in the background. And then work your way up to it. But instead it just cuts to him, he's right up to the painting and he gets zapped like that, and we're like, Oh, what the hell's going on here? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and I like I like the speed of that, because like I said, I don't mind not having laborious effects setting up the situation. Because what it really gets to for me is is Yanosh hearing that he will be commanded and then saying, Command me, Lord <laughs> Yeah, he gets it
1: really fast, doesn't he? <laughs>
2: That's me that just get to that. Just get to that. You know, don't 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 tie things down with setup.
1: He visits Dana to uh, to you know. He's like, "Hey, how's it going?" Because remember, uh, Ray causes a, a blackout, in the entire city of New York just it's yeah. all uh, darkness. And he's like, "Hello, I just was in your neighborhood." You know. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, yes. Well,
3: uh, I uh, I happen to be here in uh, this neighborhood, and I thought that I would stop by to see how how's it with you. You know, because of all this blackness. Oh, it was. we're fine. Thank huh? you. Well, thank then you're okay. Yeah. Well, uh, how's the baby? Oh, he's, he's okay. Right. Yes. Woo! <sighs> he's uh, sleeping. Oh, but I would. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> right. uh, do you need anything? Do you, know, you want me to come in? No, thank you.
2: All uh, well, right. Just thought that I would check. you know. I'll hear you.
3: Don't let your bedbugs bite.
2: Good night, Yanish.
1: <laughs> I think that's funny how he's shot down. But I was like, was he there for the baby that night? And then he just kind of gives up very easily.
2: <laughs> he goes, woo, woo. And then she says, oh, I wooed. I wooed. Is the baby awake? I wooed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah no. I mean, look, it. I even forgot, like it had been a few years since I've seen it. I forgot how this movie even ends. I forgot the whole idea of why, why is the baby necessary? Yeah. Like what does Vigo want and what is the baby supposed to do? And why is Janos getting the baby? I forgot all that. And you know what? I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind forgetting all that. It's there like, are I don't care. You know, is
1: in this it, film that I feel like, I feel like the scene went on much longer and they cut it, it or they reshot it and added this to a previous scene cuz sometimes things seem disjointed to me.
2: Yes, and you know the scene with the bathtub um does that come bef- does that come before or after the blackout?
1: That is after the blackout. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Cuz I thought there was a strange cut to that. It seemed like we were cutting from one like there was something in the museum that then cut to Dana's apartment that seemed like suddenly we're hours ahead.
1: Yeah, so first what happens is because okay, he visited Dana's house and then she shot him down and he walks down the hallway with headlight eyes. Cuz yeah. it's a cool effect. And then cut to them they're in court because Oh, yes.
2: Great scene. Okay, arrested. we'll get to that. <laughs>
1: I did think it was a stroke of genius to make Louis Tully their lawyer.
2: <laughs> but wait, wait. And, and then later there's a scene where the Ghostbusters are almost burned to death. At least uh, Ray and Egon are almost burned to death. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then Winston saves their lives. Yeah, uh,
1: they gave Winston and, something to do.
2: And, I, and then I read that they threw that in because they needed, like, the sinkhole scene in Ghostbusters 1. That makes me hit fast forward every time. Uh They threw that scene in there where they almost get burned because they thought we needed to make it more threatening. We needed yes. to make it seem like these guys could die at any time. It's like, oh, God, you know.
1: Lewis being their lawyer, the judge is the hammer. He's like this very unforgiving judge.
2: <laughs> and Harris Eulin, he- great New York actor, doing his New York anger. Before
1: we begin this trial, I want to make one
3: thing very clear. Paul well, does not recognize the existence of ghosts. I don't believe in them either. I don't want to hear a lot of malarkey about goblins, and spooks, and demons. We're going to stick to the facts in this case. Leave the ghost stories to the kiddies, understood? Wow, sounds like a pretty open-minded guy, huh? Yeah, they call him the hammer.
1: But my, I love when Lewis says that, uh... I don't think it's fair to call my clients frauds. Okay, so the blackout was a big problem for everybody, Okay. I was stuck in an elevator for
0: two hours, and I had to make the whole time. But I don't blame them, because one time I turned into a
1: dog, and they helped me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, that went well.
2: And then and then, Egon says, very good, Louis. Short, but pointless.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. My favorite scene in the entire movie, just when I watch it, because Rick Moranis is such a comedic genius, is the leading the witness scene with Peter. <laughs> So, so, so you were just trying to help uh, out a help out a friend who was
3: frightened, who was scared of what was happening to her. No when you're intent. scared, what? There was no evil. The there was night. no evil intended, no malice, no, at, here, so. because you live here. When you live in a place and you love it like no, you do, an you an don't an want, an want an nothing isolated, bad to happen. It what? Because it'll never happen again. It's an isolated incident. It's a one-shot deal. Objection, Your Honor. What? He's leading the witness.
1: He's just kind of talking along, and uh, Peters yep. just kind of like mumbling under his breath.
2: That, that's that's Peter leading the attorney. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That scene, I love it, and I rewound it to watch it more than once because I just think they're. It's so funny how he's kind of like talking, and then <laughs> Lewis is just like, "Yeah, you know, just went up his friend," <laughs> and he's like leading the witness, or.
2: But and, and, and I like the introduction here where Lewis says, "Oh, my! I don't have a." He says, "I'm usually tax. I do taxes. Sometimes probate."
3: I think you guys are making a big mistake. I do mostly tax law and some probate stuff occasionally. I got my law degree in night school.
0: Well that's fine, Louis. We got arrested at night.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> like what does that have to do with anything kind of a thing? <laughs> and then afterwards, uh Louis comes up with Peace and says, I have this he calls it a judicial restrangement order. Yes. <laughs> I I want you to rescind this judicial restrangement order.
3: My guys are
1: still under a judicial restrangement order. That blue thing I got from her. (laughs) Yeah, I like the, when the ghosts show up, the Scolari twins, they carry the female lawyer out and the guys are just like, oh, okay. (laughs) They're like, no, (laughs) you know, we can't be bothered with that. You know, I'm sure she's fine, right? (laughs)
2: Yeah, that was a mess.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> whole scene,
2: but like, but like I said, though, just get it over with. Like, it's fast, it's cute. I mean, it's fine, and the, and you know, whatever. <laughs> I, do, I, mean, I like. I like. When... it was funny, it was funny. It, I mean, and uh, the guy I was laughing, I was watching the movie with um, when I saw it in the theater. He thought that was hilarious. Like he was he was laughing so hard at the Scolari brothers, and afterwards well, he kept saying, that... you know.
1: I think at this point we just wanted something to happen that had to do with ghosts, right?
2: That's true.
1: I do love when Peter says, there are some things in this world that go
3: way beyond human understanding. Things that cannot be explained. Things that most people don't want to know about. That is where we come in.
0: So what you're saying is that the world of the supernatural is your exclusive province?
3: Kitten, I think what I'm saying is that Sometimes shit happens, someone has to deal with it, and who are you going to call?
2: And everyone's like, yeah! Yeah, and and did you notice that the court seemed oddly crowded for this case? Yeah. Like, why is, like, the court is packed for this, for this nothing case about two, about three guys making a hole in the ground?
1: I thought also thought it was strange that the don't most courtrooms have like benches, but they're all like individual chairs just strewn about the place? Is that normal? I don't know. I haven't been to a New York courtroom, but that seemed odd to me. Cause when they're fighting the Scolari brothers, they have the scene where the chairs are all popping up. Whoa! And by the way, they overreact to that. Like, you guys have seen ghosts before, and you're, like, going, whoa, these chairs are flying everywhere. I thought, guys, you're overreacting to these chairs. You guys have seen the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Why are these chairs making you guys so startled? Didn't you think that was funny, their reactions to the chairs? They're just kind of like, whoa.
2: (laughs) Well, maybe it's been a while for them. They did say it's been, uh, how long since it's been since they used that equipment? It's been five years, right? Since they used the equipment. Yeah. So it's been five years for them, right?
1: Yeah.
2: And, and as, but as Egon says, the, uh, the, the, the proton packs. Power cells have a half-life of 5,000 years.
1: And then they do the. Do.
2: Ray. Egon. Grown.
1: that was that scene was after an hour of improvising i think and that was the cut they got that was what there's also the line where he says i don't want my guys to be exposed and he goes and you don't want us exposing ourselves just silly kind of wordplay there
2: yeah but but i like those scenes that are they're like sketches they're like like the world of the world of the psychic and uh you know that scene the courthouse scene they're just like skits that yeah. just plays so well, you know, even to this, even today you can watch it and it's like a standalone, really funny skit.
1: I don't know if this is just me being nitpicky, but it feels like the scenes where they're actually capturing the ghosts and they got the proton packs and they're lassoing them and stuff. I can just picture them doing it without effects, like going, oh, you know, they're shaking the thing in their hand. And they're like, oh, you know.
2: Well, that thing, the shot you mentioned of the the woman being uh, dragged out upside down by the ghost. I guess in the coming attraction, that shot was in the the trailer, but you didn't see the ghost. You just saw her flying out upside down. Yeah. So they had to add that later. So like you say, these effects, like they're staring at things that aren't obviously not there, and you you just want to – you wish you could be there. It would be more entertaining to watch them try to react to nothing than than what is actually put in as effects later, which never match their expressions.
1: (laughs) Well, we do get the – Two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they, they be, slow. be slow. Wow. What the hell is that? I don't know, but maybe you
2: figure, you figure. All right. And the door and the doorway Egon thing, you figure they probably came up with that just, just doing it over and over again. They came up yeah. with these things themselves. I picture like
1: the ghostbusters before they got shut down. They'd been on many calls and they came up with their own little bits, right? <laughs> and I'm filling in the story here myself. But basically, this whole scene exists so the judge can give them their powers back to be the Ghostbusters. And to cue, I'm just gonna say it, a horrible <laughs> song by Run DMC.
3: For are the best, we're the beautiful, for are the only Ghostbusters. We're back. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I'm
1: yes we're back and we get a montage sequence where they're back in business baby
2: mm, yes they are and and yes that is horrible that is a horrible montage of you know but we did uh, have
1: Janine back and she looks like the cartoon version of Janine in the second movie
2: yeah which I never seen I never saw the real Ghostbusters
1: oh it's a good um, cartoon yeah
2: Really? Because if that's who we credit for the new Janine, I am all for it. Because I think the new Janine is, is rocking those glasses and that wig.
1: Yeah, I uh, think it's even... The real Ghostbusters, for a while, it was on Netflix. It's a fun cartoon. Uh,
2: really? I should check it out. Because I never saw it. I, I just thought it was always just a, a, a rip-off, you J. know? Michael but if it's really good.
1: even wrote many episodes of it. Uh, I believe Arsenio Hall did the voice of Winston. So you know it's good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Wait, what's the story behind that? Oh, there probably is a story, but maybe beyond this podcast.
1: I love that Louis Tolley was their. I guess he was their accountant. He manages their finances.
2: Yeah. Now here's uh, look. I'm not one of these guys like the like the We Hate Movies podcast. I ho- like I hope I'm not throwing shade here, but you can edit this out if it's no inappropriate. The the We Hate Movies guys, and then the Cinema Sins uh, people on YouTube. Oh yeah, I can just- stand that. Just like always asking why and, you know, logic. Like, to me, that's just not fair because it's a fictional world, you know. But I will ask, I will raise the question. Lewis says, I can get Venkman's address from his W 2s. Where are the Ghostbusters getting W 2s from? <laughs> <laughs> Is this like Ghostbusters LLC? Is this this paying the Ghostbusters?
1: Here's the problem. This scene was again improvised and they went with this scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm like excusing every scene that's kind of odd. But I think, like I said, this film needs more Rick Moranis. So wherever you can work him in, just work him in.
2: I think Rick Moranis as the new Ghostbusters should have been much more in this movie.
1: They should have been training him. And he could have just been in every scene. I don't know. Maybe people would have said there was way too much Lewis. But I think it needs more of him. And the movie was calling for more Lewis, I think.
2: I think he and Janine are such a cute couple. When, when they're like, you know, making out. And then when he's all nervous and she's all, you know.
3: I think motherhood's a very natural
2: instinct. I like a child myself. Would you? Tonight? yeah and he and she says oh you're so good with kids and he says
0: thanks i practiced on my hamster Ah. (laughs) yes
2: that was a great line and also another another great image like egon straightening out his slinky you know
1: yeah uh, do you live alone
3: he used to have a roommate but my mom moved to florida
1: so he did have a roommate it was with his mom
2: oh god and i think he's so he and janine do Can I get you on board with this, Jason? They are better than their than their counterparts in Ghostbusters 1. Do we have that? Score one, score okay. two for those two characters. I
1: thought Lewis had a lot better stuff to do in the first Ghostbusters. Remember that he's had the party where he's t- talking about, like, Mm. Each of his guests, he's like, Hey, they saved so and so on their tax return and all that and he's talking about all the food and you know, he had a lot of great scenes. He's didn't get enough stuff in the sequel, enough material to play off the courtroom scene was the most he has to do in the movie. The scene leading the witness is his best part in the whole movie. Later on as he's a Ghostbuster, he's just kind of running around and being silly, but I just felt like he needed more interaction with everybody.
2: Yes, okay, I'll give you that. There should have been more of Lewis in Ghostbusters 2. But his character in Ghostbusters One was such a one note and I think that is again another stock character from these college comedies of just mm-hmm. the you know, the nerd who can't, you know, who can't get anything going with the girl, you know. And then and then at the end he gets the girl but only through divine intervention. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, "Oh, you know, not enough not enough for me with that."
1: Remember he kind of had a thing for Dana in the first film. I thought it would have been funny when Dana shows up and he's making out with Janine like he would have been like, "Oh, Dana, you know, I don't mean to I'm kind of interested in her. I don't want to hurt your feelings or anything." Like he's kind of oblivious like she might be interested in him some way. I don't know.
2: But I, but I do like Janine's, uh, whole performance, like Annie Potts. I love her whole performance in that scene because she just looks, she just looks totally debauched. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's got this, like her hair is all string, like it's all, like it's all worn out and she's got like this expression of just like, oh, you know, I'm exhausted. And then, uh, and then Dana says that, you know, the, the boys got arrested and Annie Potts just goes typical.
1: Yeah. I gotta say, like back on this, we're still in the Run DMC a montage.
2: Okay, yeah, they the show, nightmare that will sh- not end.
1: They show a strange scene where they're in a jewelry store and there's like lasers and they've got sunglasses on. I felt like that was a deleted scene that we're just seeing part of. Like there was a whole setup here and what they're doing because there's no explanation to what's going on. Is there?
2: No, and then the jogger as well. That the they got the 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 jogger running around uh yeah running around the Hudson River and uh that seemed to be part of a bigger scene.
1: Yeah, it felt like we're seeing uh, deleted scenes in this montage. <laughs> or at least
2: because yeah. well, well, well just like in Ghostbusters one when you have Dan Aykroyd uh dreaming that he's in a, you know an old castle and getting, you know, uh, orally pleasured by a ghost. Well, that was an actual scene in the movie uh, that they cut out and then stuck back in as a dream sequence.
1: Yeah, I believe you can even uh, read what what happens in the novelization. So I mm. wonder if the novelization of Ghostbusters 2, I can see what's going on in that jewelry store scene. I don't know. Because <laughs> I've always wondered, because it looks like they destroyed the jewelry there. I don't know. But also we see Slimer eating Lewis's lunch, and he's like, hey, you... And Slimer's, like, a big-time character in the cartoon. He, like, lives there at the firehouse with the Ghostbusters. He's, like, their buddy. So it it felt like they were throwing Slimer in there, like, Hey, everybody, Slimer, (laughs) you're all fans, right? Fans of the cartoon, they're throwing him a bone there.
2: Oh, okay, so that's why that fan service did nothing for me.
1: Yeah, and so there was even more fan service. Apparently they had a whole subplot with Lewis trying to capture Slimer, around the firehouse. Cause there's a deleted scene where he almost like uh zaps Janine with a proton, the proton pack. And he's like, mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there or whatever. And I read that test audience. They were like, what is all this? Like, why does it keep cutting to Lewis? So they were like, okay, cut it
2: out. Oh, but then we have to add a scene where the ghostbusters are almost burned alive. Oh yeah. We need that scene in. We'd have yeah, we, to reshoots re- for that one.
1: We need them in peril here. <laughs> but we also get a scene okay after the montage is over we get a scene where they're showing the slime to uh peter that it's psycho reactive it responds to human emotions watch this go ahead ray you you worthless piece
0: of slime you ignorant disgusting blob. You're
1: nothing but an unstable short-chain molecule!
0: You foul, obnoxious man!
1: You have a weak electrochemical bond! I have seen some disgusting crud in my time! But you take the you're, you're just...
2: This is what you do with your spare time but that scene was the one that was shown when they did the talk show route going on the tonight show and then good morning America good morning, and all this. Oprah and they Winfrey. always have to show a clip from the movie. It's always that clip they showed. Yeah. So I feel like I've seen that scene with toaster and the slime, you yeah, know, uh, scene. like a hundred times. I yeah.
1: remember watching excitedly and I probably had it on VHS. or so recorded it. The cast of Ghostbusters on Oprah Winfrey show. And they showed that scene.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and that, that I know it by heart at this point. Oh, you you hound. You hound.
3: You're not sleeping with it, are you,
1: right?
2: Oh, you. It's always the quiet ones. So you hound. Yeah, he
1: was turning into Bill Murray from Stripes in that scene. you
2: know. And, and Egon, Egon mocks it by saying, you have a weak chemical bond.
1: <laughs> so... The They put on some Jackie Wilson, your love is lifting me higher, and it's dancing around. It's a cute scene, right?
2: It
0: responds to music, so we've been doing some experimentation, playing easy listening, middle of the road type stuff, you know, Paul Young, dust in the wind, that works okay. Works for this. me. Loves Jackie Wilson.
3: Oh, you guys do this at night when I'm not here? Oh, I get it. It sings. It sounds exactly like Jackie. That's fantastic. Just watch. Does it do Emmy Lou Harris? Love. Me oh, <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Oh, shake it up. Oh, baby. Oh, you're my number one Christmas boutique gift
1: item.
2: Right, and the first time somebody gets mad, the Tulsa could eat their hand.
1: That's an uh, improvised scene that went on too long.
2: That, yes. That one felt like you're you're indulging the actors a little bit there. But whatever. It works.
1: Now, uh, <laughs> it cuts to the museum and we see, you know, Dana, she's no longer with the symphony, right? She's now cleaning <laughs> paintings. I didn't paint it. I'm just cleaning it. It's a go
2: She's still got her violin, though. Didn't you notice? She's got her, you know, but yeah, now she's restoring great, great art.
1: Yeah, a Gauguin, a priceless piece of art. She's got a little Q-tip or whatever. She's cleaning that. And the Vigo painting, I believe, winks at her with uh, a horrible effect. Should I say all the Vigo painting effects early on in the movie are pretty bad? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, but I do like when Peter shows up and Janos immediately does not like him. Eh, uh, not your own business, I hope.
3: Well, it's top secret. See, Johnny, you gotta go again, too. No, eh, uh, actually, I'm preparing uh, this portrait for the new romantic exhibition. Yes, this is Prince Rigo, the roller cartel in Moldavia. Bit of a sissy, isn't he? He was a very powerful magician, Dr. Rinkman. Ain't there a genius in many ways? He was also a lunatic and a genocidal madman. I hate this painting.
2: But I, I, that particular moment, that is when I really started saying, I need to stop this movie, rewind it, and play it again to figure out what the hell is Janos's accent. (laughs) (laughs) Janos talks to Benkman and says, this is, this is Vigo. But he says, he doesn't say Vigo. He says Rego. And then when he says Venkman, he says Rankman. I mean, he's not really doing an accent in that you can say, oh, he's doing this accent or that accent. Right. He's simply making up an accent. So he will replace, in that scene, he replaces all the Vs with R's. Like, some languages don't have the V sound, right? Like, you know, Japanese doesn't have the V sound. So they'll replace it with B. There's not a single accent that replaces Vs with R's. And then... Like, sometimes they'll replace, like, like a, a W for a V. Like, they'll transpose a V with a W. But sometimes, Janos, his Ws are Vs. So he'll say, you know...
3: Johnny, where in the hell are
2: you from, anyway? The upper West side. Ws are Vs, and then his Vs are Rs? But then it's totally inconsistent, because then later on, he will use Vs.
1: <laughs> yeah, they gave... Peter McNichol free reign with Janos to do whatever he wanted. And I do like that scene. Where are you from? And he goes, I'm from the west side or whatever.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he's from the upper west side. (laughs) Which means this is a character who is so pretentious that he invents his own accent that he makes up as he goes in order to sound impressive and cultured. To total strangers.
1: Would that have been a great reveal at the end after they hose him down with the positive (laughs) slime for him to just talk normal?
2: Oh, my God. That would have been awesome.
1: Like he it was an act the whole time. And they're just like, okay, And we could have not explained anything. And it just been like, what the hell? And so we know (laughs) when we rewatch the movie that he's putting on a fake accent the entire movie and with no explanation. That would have made it, it more interesting.
2: But it, maybe it's also even funnier that he's done it for so long that he just forgot his normal voice. Do you notice, He just he, just, he, just, he just forgot how to speak normally in his own voice.
1: Do you notice <laughs> the scene where uh, Peter is looking at the painting and Sigourney Weaver says, Oh, I've never liked this painting. Uh, he was a horrible man or whatever. Janos is kind of going, shh, 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 shh. he's kind of like, shush, shh, shush, shush. Don't say that. Don't say that. You know, like, because he's like, the, he can hear you. I think that's kind of funny. It's very subtle in that scene. If you watch his reaction, he's like, oh, no, 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 stop, stop. Don't say that. Don't say that. It's pretty funny.
2: Everything he says is like, it should be, and there is on YouTube, I found, someone put up a Best of Janosch uh, a clip, uh, video clip, like a, a, a series of clips. Yeah. And, and it's basically all of Janosch. Oh, my God. They just God. took all all of his scenes and just said, this is the best of Janosch. All of them. <laughs>
1: So some people really like Janosch, because I gotta say I never reacted well to Yanosh.
2: Oh my god, really?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't get it.
2: Well, it, it helps to know that he was the—he's a very distinguished, classically trained actor.
1: Yes, uh, I do he, like and- Peter McNichol, but I'm not sure I like him in this film. <laughs>
2: But but he he brings a spark to the scenes that otherwise he would just be another stock character like we saw. Like, he would be another Lewis from Ghostbusters 1. You know what I mean? Yeah. He would I just be that character again.
1: Yeah, but he doesn't pull it off. Like, I love Rick Moranis, but I don't know about this character. I mean, I watched it twice in a 24-hour period. I got to say, I hated him less the second time. He grew on me a little, but... I think it would have been okay if Ivan Reitman said, hey, dial back with the, the <laughs> accent a little, you know? I mean, I think there are certain scenes that are funny, like when he wants in the apartment, and he's like, oh, would you like to invite me in? She's like, no, I wouldn't. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, he uh, he's, uh some good reactions there. Maybe there's too much Yanosh in this film. Maybe that's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs>
2: So, so a little less Yanosh, a little more Lewis, and yes. and you'd be you be a little more on board with this uh this ghostbusters 2 is good argument here's right? a,
1: okay, the scene where he comes to take the baby, we'll talk about that later, but how about a scene with Yanosh versus Lewis in the apartment, and he's trying to keep him from taking the baby. They're throwing uh pillows and lamps at each you know at each other, maybe kind of like. Uh, a nerdy weakling fight or something wouldn't that have been great
2: uh maybe <laughs> so well so well no that actually could have happened where you know when they get to the, the ghostbusters get to the museum and they're introduced to janos well ray is introduced to janos and 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 bankman basically tells him you know sick him ray
3: no
1: no please no you can't.
2: who's this wiggler he's yours ray sick him it should it, like Lewis should have been there. Sikkim Lewis.
1: Lewis. Yeah, it, he should have been there in training. So in our new version where he's a trainee, he could have been in that scene. They would have been good playing off each other, I think. But uh, after this scene where they're at the museum, this is the, now the bath scene. Dana is giving Oscar a bath, and the slime, oh okay. The tub fills with slime and it rises up and it wants to take Oscar. Was this a gratuitous scene? For some reason, we get to see uh, Dana in her bra.
2: Not, I was I wondering, know. was that a callback to Alien, do you think?
1: Yeah, I wondered that, too. Or maybe they're just like, we need Sigourney Weaver to get in her underwear. That just has to happen, right? You know. Uh,
2: by, who by that time was multiple Academy Award nominee, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, she
1: had been nominated twice in one year.
2: And she was then nominated that – no, she was nominated, yes, the previous year, twice.
1: I made a uh, note here in my notes also. If you remember – sorry for a uh, digression here – Uh, In the first film, Elmer Bernstein did the music.
2: Yes, I have a note. Yes.
1: (laughs) In the second film, Randy Edelman did the music. And I Uh got to say, the incidental Peter and Dana music.
2: (laughs) Sucks in this movie i that is one thing if i could take out of ghostbusters one and put it in ghostbusters two it would be elmer bernstein yes because yes that score i assume that he
1: died (laughs) and that's why he didn't do the sequel it's
2: just such a it's such a generic like it's it has no it has no harmony it's got it's just like shock notes Yeah,
1: but like whenever it's Dana and Peter like at his house or something, remember after she takes Oscar and shows up at Peter's house in his apartment, they're kind of hanging out on the bed. The music is terrible. It's just Mm. kind of this nice, delightful music, and I'm just like, what movie is this for? It's not (laughs) Ghostbusters 2. What is Randy Edelman doing? I miss Elmer Bernstein.
2: Well, maybe Elmer Bernstein was too expensive by that point because everyone else had to work for scale to get this budget down. So maybe Elmer Bernstein just wanted too much money. But hey, Randy Edelman, you are one reason I'm fighting an uphill battle here.
1: Yeah, you are no Danny Elfman, Randy Edelman.
2: (laughs) I wonder if he ever... Although they use use an Oingo Boingo song in Ghostbusters 2. Did you notice that?
1: Yeah, I actually read that Danny Elfman was pissed that they played like the first few bars of the song but didn't play (laughs) the rest of his song And he said if he'd known they wouldn't use it, he wouldn't have provided it. But alas, it is on the soundtrack, right?
2: And, uh, yes. And just to follow up another digression, which is connected, the production designer of Ghostbusters 2 is Bo Welch. Oh, yeah. Who is, uh, you know, Tim Burton's, uh, you know, favorite production designer. And, yeah. I, I I do like the look of Ghostbusters 2 so much more. I thought Ghostbusters 1, I thought the whole architectural, you know, the, the pyramid and all, like things like that just didn't, weren't really that interesting, but I thought uh, just the sets were so much better for well, this I gotta movie. i to say
1: this. The Vigo painting is fantastic.
2: Mm. That oh, yeah.
1: painting, very striking. I thought that was a great job. I was like, who painted that? He did a great job. Because yeah. it could have been really cheesy, but they played it. It's actually a very ominous image, you know? The way he's just staring at you, no matter where you are yeah. in the room.
2: It's memorable, cool. it's memorable. You can picture Vigo in your mind. It's just this, uh, <laughs> not a pleasant thing, but yeah, uh, uh, do you like it's a very they, effective painting, yeah.
1: When uh, Ray runs Vigo through the occultreference.net, <laughs> or, or is it the <laughs> occultreference.net?
0: Spangler, a major slime-related psychokinetic event. What happened? Something came out of Dana's bathtub, tried to grab her and the baby. Are they all right? Yeah, well, she got out of there and went over to Venkman's.
1: This is interesting, Ray. Remember the painting Bankman mentioned? Uh-huh. Ran the name Vigo the Carpathian through the occult reference net. Look what came up.
0: Ooh. Nice ugly history. You think there's a connection between this Vigo character and the slime? It's the atomic weight of cobalt 58.9 i going to get over to Dana's apartment. I'd like to check out that bathtub.
2: Yeah, and a- another piece of architecture I like is the, uh, have we gone to the underground uh, thing? Are we there yet? To the the, the train tracks? Are we there yet? Let's or... see,
1: not yet.
2: The, something something. I want to get back to at the nope. museum, when they walk into the, when the Ghostbusters get to the museum, there's a weird scene that is a we- and I wonder, wondered if you caught this and if you made sense of this, when Bill Murray okay. sees the security guard who I'm sure is some other cameo part. I didn't look this up, but I'm sure that's some cameo role because the security guard talks to to Venkman and says,
1: Hey, uh, Dr. Venkman! World of
3: the Psychic! That's right, how you doing? Hey, I'm a big, big fan of yours. Oh, thank you very much, thank you. (laughs) It used to be one of my two favorite shows. You're kidding me. Oh, Oh, great, what was the other one? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show.
2: Yeah, I know Bassmasters, sure. And And I guess Peter got really pissed at that He's just
1: kind of like, oh, like... And I'm thinking, what
2: is that about?
1: I don't know. It's just that <laughs> I think it's supposed to be, this is who watches my show. A security guard who also loves fishing.
2: Oh, okay. Maybe. So Bassmasters was probably an actual show of just like fish fishermen hanging out right. on the boat.
1: So right? right before they, the boys, you know, all the Ghostbusters show up to the museum. But right before that, when he's talking about running him through the computer... Uh, when they're about to enter the museum, they're telling Peter about him, and they said, Yo, "Vigo the Carpathian, born 1505, died 1610.
0: 105 years old. He hung in there, didn't he? Didn't die of old age either. He was poisoned, stabbed, shot, hung, stretched, disemboweled, drawn, and quartered.
3: Ouch. I guess when not do popular at the end. Huh? No, not exactly a man of the people. Also known as Vigo the Cruel, Vigo the Torturer, Vigo the Despised, and Vigo the Unholy. Wasn't he also Vigo the Butch? And dig this: there was a
0: prophecy. Just before his head died." last words were
1: death is but a door time is but a window i'll be back when they said shot i'm like with a gun or a bow and arrow
2: <laughs> <Just before laughs> wait he... what were the exact years that were mentioned
1: yeah i know he was 105 years old but they oh. said before his head died like he his <laughs> head was chopped off he said like a
2: cockroach yeah. death
1: is but a door time is but a window and i'll be back basically so they visit the museum now and their are Janos is like, no, 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 get out of here. I'm like, oh, more Janos. Here we go. But there's
2: this strange scene. Meanwhile, I'm clapping my hands with glee that Janos is, <laughs> is, get more Janos.
1: Well, we get the, the scene from, uh, every, uh, TV spot.
3: Suck in the guts, guys, with the Ghostbusters.
2: Oh, right. Yeah.
1: anyway... Ray stares at the painting and he looks like he's possessed or something.
3: Hey. Hey. Hey, you finished? Yeah, I'm finished here.
1: Are you all right? What? What? I mean, you're not coming down with something. Me? And he is, but that whole subplot was cut out of the movie. There's more to that. Do you remember in the montage earlier when Peter, Bill Murray, he's kind of like looking weird, like at the front of the Ecto-1 and he kind of looks back at uh at Egon. He kind of has a befuddled look on his face for no reason. In yeah. that scene, uh Ray was driving the Ecto-1 and he was driving crazy in New York and he was going to crash a car and kill all of them until Winston punches him in the face and knocks it out of him. And they cut that out of the movie. So now he just kind of is like, hey, are you okay? And he's like, huh? Oh yeah, I'm fine. And that's it.
2: Oh, okay, there seemed to be more to that than what was there, but I didn't know there was a whole sequence.
1: I think I picture them in the editing room, like this film comes out like in four <laughs> weeks. Guys, come on, we gotta make something out of this stuff.
2: I mean, was it Aykroyd's Performed, By the way, he would also he would be nominated for an Academy Award that year wow. for driving Miss Daisy.
1: That's crazy.
2: And, and so was it his performance that you know, Dan Aykroyd can't sell possession?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a boom kind of a look.
2: And, and by the way, I like Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd is, isn't he someone who you think could never really be a star, but is a great presence? Like he can just, he's someone who never really had a persona. He always was able to just slip into other roles. Right. And you see him in this movie sort of enacting things like when he's, uh, acting like he's, um, like he's an actual, he like working for the power company and he puts on this really heavy New York accent. And then like he, sh- they should be doing more with him being possessed and, and being, uh, like having to put on different personas because that's what we like about Dan Aykroyd. Cause yeah. he, he was, when he's trying to be the hero, like before Ghostbusters 2, he was in like spies like us.
1: Honestly, what it felt like to me is they're improvising so much on the set that Dan Aykroyd's standing, looking at the painting, goes, guys, what if Ray gets possessed here? And they're like, okay, well, let's try it. And he's like, action. He's like, oh. And they're like, cut. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. What do we do with that? I don't know. We'll figure it out later.
2: (laughs) It's like, okay, take eight will be Dan Aykroyd's attempt at at putting a subplot in this movie. So every take eight, Dan Aykroyd, okay, do your thing. We'll see if it works. And then, you know, and something's got... Something stayed in, some things went out. <laughs> Do
1: you feel like this film is piecemeal? Like they had to work a lot of, they had to kind of get it coherent from all the crazy takes and different thing. I, guess, you know, it does hold together. It has the whole thing's building up to Vigo at the end with the slime, mm-hmm. but we haven't quite gotten there yet.
2: Yeah, After- it should have. It should have been all about the slime. This movie because. Because that actually is thematic material. It's, it, this movie's about New York. It's not just set in New York, like the first one. Yes. Yeah, it's so about, it's about New York.
1: Yeah, because how did the slime correlate with bringing the Vigo painting out of the basement? Like at the beginning I, yeah, of
2: the movie. WTF. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I like having certain things in the movie because of the painting. Like, it's a, it's a cool painting. I like Yanosh.
1: Yeah, to what death. You know? Okay, here I'm adding more Yanosh into the movie. At the beginning <laughs> of the movie, there's some kind of sound he hears and he works his way into the basement and he unearths this secret door and he opens the door and then there's the painting and he screams or something. Cue Ghostbusters theme and that's the new beginning of the movie.
2: <laughs> oh, know. well see cuz then cuz then you actually have an origin for the slime. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just having slime. I don't even know. Yes. How is the slime even connected? There's just a river of slime.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
2: We got the river of slime. So it's sort of like runoff, right? Isn't isn't that technically what it is? It's runoff from...
1: Yeah, I don't know where it's coming from, but it's all going towards the museum that we'll figure out later.
2: But towards the museum. Shouldn't it be going away from the museum? Anyway. (laughs) So
1: I do like this scene. Uh, After the, the museum, we cut to Peter, and he's going... He arrives and he goes, Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. She cleaned. There's a scene where he's with Oscar
3: and he's like, You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a
1: terrible burden on your poor mother. <laughs> it's a cute scene, but he says... It's truly
2: really charming. Is it it's because charming. he
1: says mean things to the baby? It's funny, I guess?
2: Totally, I like that he's totally... Okay. What other comedian could make you laugh at a scene of him with a baby? There's no sentimentality. He has his edge with a baby, (laughs) Uh, teasing the baby and not talking down to the baby, right? Mm -hmm. He's not talking. He's not talking down. Uh, and he's just saying, okay, I'm going to treat you like you're a fraternity tryout and I'm, you know, and I'm the mentor to you and I'm letting you in my fraternity. And we're just going to, you know, have this banter. About whatever girls, he has this T-shirt that came from Joe Namath. Yeah, that actually went to a girl, who then went that then went to Bankman. So it's like talk to he's talking about a sexual history to this. child. <laughs> yeah. um, it's so, so like she's treating this baby like a like a like a 19 year old fraternity uh, pledge.
1: Peter he uh, asked Dana out, and he says I've got Janine to uh, babysit, and I like how she has the line about don't use any of your cheap moves on me.
3: Okay, but after dinner, don't put any of
1: those old cheap moves on me. No, 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 no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. And what's interesting in this, okay, between him asking Dana to go out with him and them getting ready to go out and them actually standing out on the street and then them being in the restaurant, we have the scene in the dark room developing the pictures of vigo Hmm. where they see that he looks crazy evil and that in one of the photos you see the river of slime
0: what the hell is that i know what it is i've seen it before where when you guys had me dangling like a worm on a hook 100 feet below first avenue that's the river of slime
1: You hey, need a, a blanket a or something,
3: well, why is this closed? Winston! Winston! Hey, hey,
0: fire! That's the way, that's the way. What
1: we got oh, the the hey. uh, to the we got to we to Actually, right before that, I think Janine and, uh, Lewis left and she's like, well, I have to babysit and he goes with her. So then after that scene, they go to visit the river of slime and that's where we get the, the scene that I always remember scaring the crap out of a little kid on the same row as me with the severed heads. Hello.
3: Hello? Okay, I'm out of
1: here. Uh. (laughs) He wasn't sitting in his chair, he was standing in the, at, up, like, Kind of like hugging the chair in front of him, watching it. And when that scene come up, he turned around and went, Mama! And like was crying in her arms. And I was like, way to go, Ghostbusters. You just scared the crap out of that kid. <laughs> but I got to say, I do like the train sequence. The ghost train.
2: That's one of the good big laughs in the movie.
1: think that was the old new york central city of albany derailed in 1920 killed hundreds of people did you catch the number on the locomotive sorry i missed it they're giving ernie hudson something to do in the movie you know a second ago he saved their lives with by bashing in the door now he gets to have a ghost train go through him you know they're giving him something to do there
2: although we never see like what he was doing in the five years
1: yeah, yeah. He was just doing birthday parties, I guess, <laughs> with Ray. Ray has his occult... Oh, why can't I say this word? Say occult. He has an you just occult said it. bookstore, but he also does birthday parties.
2: <laughs> and, now, and now, just to, to, to back up a second, isn't it interesting to see Peter Venkman's apartment?
1: Yeah, he's a because, slob.
2: Because in the first movie, we never saw where these... Where these guys live, because they lived in the firehouse, right? That's where they lived. So you're missing a whole thing that could characterize these guys by showing them where they live. That's why I so much prefer seeing them as separate people doing their own thing. And so you get to spend a lot of time in Peter Venkman's home. (laughs) And I'm scanning that room for all these weird little things. Like he's got like a birdhouse. He's got these like paintings on the wall. He's got these uh, magazine covers of. And USA Today newspaper covers of himself on them. He has this old computer with a turtle on top of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it so much more. And you get to see, you know, and Peter Venkman's got beer bottles on his coffee table. You know, he doesn't yeah. even sleep in his bed. He's It looks sort of like there's like
1: newspapers stacked up in the corner or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's like he's a hoarder or something, you know.
1: Now, Winston gets sucked in the river of slime and Egon and Ray jump in and uh, I do like the scene where they come out I thought this scene could have gone on longer where Winston and Ray want to fight nice going Ray
3: what are you trying to do, drown me? oh yeah, I said it more like it was my fault that you were too stupid not to drop that bloodline, stupid, hey you better watch your mouth I'll put your lights up oh yeah? Yeah. well anytime come on, right. come on. Right it's go time man on. I want you back me, me. wait wait Stop! Stop!
0: Get your clothes off! Oh, the hooray! What are we doing? I was ready to kill you. It's a stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's
1: all flowing right to this spot. But they should have been like trying to kill each other. And it would have been a really dark scene. And that's when Egon breaks it up. It's not, no guys, this movie's in a hurry. I think.
2: Ivan Reitman, the director needed another producer to say, shouldn't you, you know, set this up a little more, you know, shouldn't you have a little, a few more shots of this? Like there's
1: no setup to any scenes in this movie. It just (laughs) is happening. And guys, if you're not following, you're just gonna have to watch the movie again. I think that's what the way it's, it is.
2: Yeah. And, and it, it also doesn't pay off later because the idea is the slime that's covering the museum at the end, you figure, well, that's going to make everybody kind of like a Kingsman, uh, a Kingsman scenario (laughs) where everyone just is triggered into homicidal lunacy. Right. Yeah. Uh, That doesn't happen. No one else is slimed in this movie.
1: They do kind of boo them when they can't do anything with it. (laughs) <laughs> proton like, Boo, you guys suck. I do actually like the Dana and Peter scene in the restaurant where she's complimenting him and she's like... The most charming, kindest... Oh,
0: it's, it's me. <laughs> it's
1: you. And most unusual
0: man I've ever broken up with.
3: Speaking of breaking up with neat guys, why did you dump me? I
0: didn't dump you.
3: I was... Protecting myself. I mean, you weren't very good for me, you know. You know that, don't you? Hmm. Well, heck, I'm not even good for me. You're much better than you realize. You don't give yourself enough credit. I need to hear that kind of stuff. I mean, if I had this kind of support on a 24 hour day basis, I could have myself whipped into shape by the end of this century. Well, why don't you just give me a jingle in the year 2000? Why don't I give
2: you a
3: jingle right now?
2: <laughs> and, and like but again referring to a guy we don't know yeah you don't know this kind man she's talking about you know
1: and they're about to kiss when the boys show up and they're covered in slime and he flings them on a lady
2: that lady you know who that was
1: who yes and yeah. it's all flowing right to the museum yeah the museum
3: right oh, god. Oh,
1: god. Sorry. god
3: you mean my museum
2: that and, and I actually had to look up IMDb to see if someone else caught this and no one else caught this. It's not on it, This is something few people know. That's Dawn Steele, who is the head of Columbia Pictures. She greenlit this movie. Yeah, and she gets and she gets the cameo as Slime Lady.
1: <laughs> What's funny is I read about the previous uh, head of the studio before her had no interest in greenlining Ghostbusters two. He was more into like uh, award winning movies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's David Putnam. Yeah, David Putnam. And, uh, I, I know this, a lot of this history because I researched it for, a, for a project. And, um, it's not that he didn't want to do Ghostbusters too. He just didn't want to do it the way Bill Murray wanted to do it. You know? right. Uh, he just this... didn't want to spend so much money on it. Right. Willing, he was willing to do it and he even greenlit it before he was fired. He even greenlit Ghostbusters, but, uh, but as a different, as like a, a lower budget and, um, different people. He was going to say, let's, he was going to do what, what happened in 2016, which is to say, let's just get different people, you know? Oh,
3: wow. So we're
2: not paying, so we're not paying these actors. Cause that was, his big thing was about how the, in the 80s, the salaries of stars was escalating to the point where it was unsustainable to make movies. Yeah. He just and, and the agents know. had so much power and the stars could command you know, 10, 12, 15 million dollars. Um, yeah,
1: little did he know nothing, he wasn't going to change anything.
2: Well, he was working for Coca-Cola. But I almost think that
1: Bill Murray, he just, you know, one thing that uh, I read also is that he hated sequels. The Mm. idea of doing a sequel was pretty abhorrent to him. And he thought that it was kind of like giving up doing a sequel. And so I think that he made these outrageous demands because he really didn't want to do the movie. And he finally, you know, like you said, the razor's edge, he went on sabbatical when he came back. He remembered filming Ghostbusters fondly. He said it was the best time he ever had on a set. So I think he was like, "Okay, let's do it."
2: Yeah, he came back with a whole different, uh, a whole different scheme on how to on how to run his career. He dismissed his agent. He dismissed his manager. He he was just his own person, and uh, and he just refused to do anything he didn't want to do. He was obviously rich enough, and uh, and when he did Scrooge. It seemed like he really wanted to make a movie about like taking his persona and turning it inside out, you know, doing Razor's Edge and Stripes at the same time, you know, instead of doing one or the other. Let's 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 do drama and comedy together. And then he just wanted to work with people who were willing to do that with him. But then he would do things he would Did did you ever see him do uh, on the Saturday Night Live? He did the Oscars. Like he did like a little thing where he was uh he was prognosticating the Oscars on Saturday Night Live. No. And he uh and he ran down all the categories and he was just he was just riffing like on the categories
3: for best uh, supporting actor and actress. Well, I know a little bit about this category, and if you say it once, you got to believe it. Who really cares about this award anyway?
1: <laughs> just move on to the best.
2: <laughs> and then it just moves goes on to another thing, you know.
1: So he took the razor's edge uh, rejection pretty hard, didn't he?
2: it was devastating because he really, that was his project. And, and when he came back, it was, it was sort of like he was very difficult to deal with. And he was just like, but the thing is, even when I try to be nice, things happen like razor's edge. So yeah, he became very difficult to deal with, but I think he became a much better, a, like a much richer perform. His performances are so much richer. Yeah. Uh, Do you think and he became, he's good in Ghostbusters too? I think we needed more of him. But I think in Ghostbusters 2, he shows us this side of him that you saw a little bit in Scrooge, uh, which is someone who can really, he, he could be, he could be not only the life of the party, but kind of the conscience.
1: Yeah. I honestly think his best scenes are with the baby and Dana.
2: Yeah. Where you got him, he never lost his wit. He's almost like Robin Williams, but not at that, en- not at that level of energy. He was more of like a, more of like a slob, <laughs> yeah. like, a you know, someone who you have to kind of lean for. You have to lean forward and listen, yeah. you know, and, and watch him.
1: Because, you know, what's funny is that when I saw him, you know, I watched on YouTube them on the Oprah Winfrey show again, because I remembered <laughs> watching it a long time ago in 89. They kind of make jokes about how he demanded lighter equipment this time because of like his proton pack, I guess was really heavy in the first movie. So they made him lighter versions of everything. (laughs) I just thought that was funny. It sounds like he, I think he likes being in the movie, but I don't, I think he has more fun when he's not in the Ghostbuster outfit in the film when he's just Peter Vinkman. But when he's in the Ghostbusters outfit in the proton pack, I don't know. I'm just analyzing here, but I think he's less interested in those scenes in the movie.
2: I think he really just likes to have things to bounce off of. So whatever is supposed to be corny or conventional to him, that's something to, to, to target. Right. And the Ghostbusters uniform, maybe in part one, it had originality and like he could wear that. And that itself to him was, was a was a good statement. Like I am a Ghostbuster, but in Ghostbusters two, it's sort of like, I already did that. Now that's something I'm bouncing off of, you know, I'm beyond that now. And, and in a way, so are we, I don't, I wouldn't mind having a whole movie about the Ghostbusters without any ghosts.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of other people would be pretty mad about that. (laughs) I got to just say that when they leave the restaurant, they tell them that the slime is leading right towards the museum. So they're all going to go talk to the mayor. Cue up some Bobby Brown, is what I'm saying here. (laughs) We get to hear this song.
2: On our own?
1: Yes. On our own. And we even get a Bobby Brown cameo. He wants one of those proton packs for his little brother or his nephew or something. Oh, Ghostbusters. How you doing?
3: Hey, guys, come back this way.
1: You
0: guys got another one of those proton packs. My kid brother really wants one. The proton pack is not a toy. I guess it's
1: right. That scene just seems so tight on there. Let's so it's a, a scene with Bobby Brown and Bobby Brown's in it. This is like, I'm just like, when I'm watching, I'm just like, ugh,
2: why? But okay. okay. Let's talk a little about a little bit about Bobby Brown. <laughs> when I saw that movie in the theater, We all saw that. We all saw that cameo, and it was so tacked on, like you say. Yeah. And we and there was just this pause because no one laughed. It was a packed theater. It's groan-inducing, isn't it? It's it's and we were all just like that. Just happened. You're like that. Just happened. They let Bobby Brown take the screen for that long and during his own song in the movie yes and it's like you hear the song and then you see him and it's like all right something's gonna happen right something's gonna happen and we're all waiting for the for the payoff but then it's just you have this weird public service announcement from race dance about how you know proton packs aren't toys
1: yeah they're not toys this is dangerous which they are toys if you go to the toy (laughs) store but okay picture tim burton's batman and there's a montage scene with a Prince song and Batman's walking and Prince is like, hey, could I get a little batarang for my nephew? And he's like, these aren't toys. <laughs> it, the audience would have been like, what? Why is Prince in this scene during Bat Dance in the movie? This, no. But I just thought it was cut. it's just like blatant, I guess. It's kind of funny now, but I remember seeing it in the theater, just being like, oh, come on kind of thing.
2: But you know, that song. On our own, I'm going to say this, Jason, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> and none of your listeners are going to like it. In fact, if you if you cut this out, I'll understand, you know, because you do not want to retain your 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 listenership. Uh, but I think on our own, I'd rather hear that song one more time than to hear the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters one more time. And I'm not saying. And, and here's the thing, I'm not saying it's a better song. I'm just saying I'd rather hear that again. And it's almost like when you... I, I don't know if you do karaoke. Uh, no. <laughs> but, okay. But let's say you have songs, you have like a—you have like an album, and there are songs on the album you've heard a thousand times, And but you love the album, and you know you love the album because of the whole album, not just because of these three or four songs you've heard yeah, right. a million times. So when you put the album on, you might listen to the thing you already know a million times or you're going to play something you haven't heard in a while. And then you realize this isn't so bad. And then it's fresh. And there's something about the freshness of it that makes it something you want to hear more of. It's
1: not a bad song. I'll say that. It's catchy. I mean, too hot to handle, too cold to hold. No, not bad.
2: Not bad. I will say this.
1: (laughs) Huey Lewis didn't sue Bobby Brown. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I cannot hear the Ghostbusters, the Ray Parker song, without hearing Huey Lewis. That's a problem. And then just the Ghostbusters. I hate that. I turned down the volume. When I was watching Ghostbusters 2, whenever that song came on, mute. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't want to hear that song anymore. But I'll listen to it on our own. It's a really pleasant song. What's I gotta say, I like listening partly because it's it's a little fresher.
1: The Ghostbusters it's- song by Ray Parker Jr. sucks. It's not a, it's <laughs> not a good song. It's not a work of art in any way. People like it because they enjoy the movie. Other than that, if Ghostbusters the song existed without the movie, people go, "What the hell is this?" It's not a good song.
2: And it's the song that got jammed down our throats because that's that's really what made the movie a hit, the first movie, yeah. the song.
1: But I will say Spirits by Dougie Fresh, or right? I wouldn't want to listen to that <laughs> for the rest of my life. But they got Ray Parker Jr., a guy who I never otherwise would have heard of in my life, to do a song for Ghostbusters. And it became a hit song, and they sold soundtracks. So obviously they wanted to do that for the sequel, too. So they got Bobby Brown, New Edition... Uh, Dougie Fresh, Run DMC, Elton John even does
2: a song. But not Elmer Bernstein.
1: <laughs> At what point does the Oingo Boingo song play in the movie? Because he said it's just a few bars. Do you recognize it when you watch the movie?
2: Do you know? It's, it? a, it's it's like about three quarters of the way in. It is just, yeah, it's literally just, I think it's diegetic. I think, it, I think it's like part of the world of the movie, you know, but yeah, it's very quick.
1: Like a car drives by on the street playing it on the stereo. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And isn't it funny hearing those soundtracks from those eighties movies where, like, for the shot of them getting to the bar from the restaurant, yeah. like, you hear some, like, a few notes of a song. And then on the soundtrack album, you hear the whole song and you think, Oh, that was the song. And that happened in, in, uh, Ghostbusters one, where there's like a love theme between Dana and, and Benkman. And, uh, and then you realize it's not just a theme. There's a whole song with lyrics. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the, <laughs>
1: Well, back in the movie, they go to visit the mayor. So we have a repeat of the dogs and cats living together type of scene where they're... Exploring. Lenny, Lenny. Yes. <laughs> and we get the, the funny line about... Lenny, have you been out on the street lately? Do
3: you know how weird it is out there? We've taken our own headcount. There seem to be three million completely miserable assholes living in the tri-state area. Oh, Please. I beg your pardon, three million and one. Hey.
1: He's like, hey. But, uh, of course, the mayor doesn't believe them, and they threaten to go to the press. And this guy, Hardemeyer, I believe is his name, he has them committed in the loony bin.
2: Well, yeah. Now, to stay a bit on that mayor scene. What am I supposed to do? Go on television and tell 10 million
3: people they have to be nice to each other? Being miserable and treating other people like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right.
2: Your two
0: minutes are up.
2: Good night. The audience I saw that with, even though we were not in New York, <laughs> yeah. cheered.
1: Yeah, it's all right to be assholes.
2: <laughs> which is which is funny because if you think about it, okay, the whole movie is about not being an asshole. The whole movie is about getting over being an asshole. And and New York is sort of the nucleus of anger, you know, in America or something. And it, w- it was made at a time when, yeah, New York was pretty run down. I mean, we had Batman, as you say, you know, two weeks later, which is, you know, Gotham City is when you really hate New York, you you imagine Gotham City, you know? Yeah. So the audience is ripe for that. We want to get dirty in that city. We just want to, like, slather ourselves with filth because that's how we feel about about New York. So here is a movie saying, hey, we need to get over this. And uh, and the movie's all about how the Ghostbusters save us from ourselves. Yeah. Do you think that's a particularly interesting theme? Or do you think that is so ridiculously unimportant that to even talk about in those terms is beneath us? Because let me ask you this. What was Ghostbusters 1 about? Was it about anything?
1: It was just about a lady's possessed uh, <laughs> building she lived in,
2: right? I mean, Ghostbusters 2 has a lame concept. For, like a big concept a big a big point it has a big idea yeah bigger it, it, but at least it has an idea well you know? what's
1: funny is this stuff is going on with them. like for instance okay the ghostbusters they visit the mayor to tell him that there's this slime going towards the museum and bad stuff's going to happen he doesn't believe them. they threaten to go to the press they're committed in uh an institution i guess Meanwhile, Dana has no idea that happened. She's back at the apartment with Louis and Janine. Then, cut to the museum, and we have Janos talking to Vigo, and he says, by the way, you now see his floating head in the painting, where he's like, bring me the boy. I need a baby. And he's like, um, well, what about Dana? You know, could I, could she be mine? And he's like
3: so be it on this day of darkness she will be ours wife to you and mother to me
1: yes thank you lord thank you so next cut to the scene where Oscar has wandered out onto the ledge and why is Janos now a ghost
3: No! No! No!
0: Oh God! That was a ghost! No! No! That was Yana! He took it. What? What's happening? What should we do? Where's the baby? see here. Where are you going? I've got to
1: get my baby.
2: we got to find the
1: guys. <laughs> Is that even Janos?
2: Is, did his spirit, In a wig. In a, his, a bad wig.
1: Did his spirit leave his body? Because he comes and his arm stretches out. He takes the baby. And, you know, Lewis says, It was a ghost. A ghost took him. And Dana goes, "No, that was Janosch," and it's like that. No, that was a ghost of Janosch. Oh. What the hell's going on? It just seemed kind of like what happened there. I
2: know. I know. Yep. see. To me, that's that's sort of like nitpicking a little bit. Like you know, it's <laughs> but it is. It's like, like what just happened there because because you could say the same thing about and I, see. Now I'm really feeling my oats about about the superiority of Ghostbusters too. Okay, you can no, say all of that, that about not... Ghostbusters one. It's not as much, if not more,
1: it's not (laughs) important really, but would it have killed Ivan Reitman to see Janos after he says, yes, you can have the woman. He collapses on the ground and you see his spirit form rise out of his body and he floats up through the ceiling. We still would have been like, what the F? But then when he shows up in the building like that, we'd be like, oh, okay. doesn't really matter. But I do think it's kind of a WTF type of scene.
2: You... I, I have to admit, I, I was probably. That was when I started looking down at my notes more than the screen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Janine and Lewis are like, we got to find the boys. And she runs off to the museum where she's immediately taken captive. Now, what's funny is in the institution, Brian Doyle Murray is the doctor. The scene where they're all talking to him about why they need to get out of there is pretty funny because everything they're saying is completely insane.
0: As I explained before, we think the spirit of a 17th century Moldavian tyrant is alive and well in a painting at the Manhattan Museum of Art.
3: Uh huh. And are there any other paintings in the museum with bad spirits in them?
0: You're wasting valuable time. He's drawing strength from a psychomagmatheric slime flow that's been collecting under the city. Yes, tell me about the slime. It's very potent stuff. We made a toaster
3: dance with it, toaster, and a bathtub try to eat his friend's baby. A bathtub. Don't look at me. I think these people are completely nuts.
1: I thought I think that's a genuinely funny moment in the movie. Yeah,
2: it's all it's all one shot too. A nice little um, a nice little push in that ends with Bill Murray. Yes, as you say, like he's got his 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 head is in his arms. He's like he's like hunched over, just Defeated. just wishing he could he couldn't make himself invisible (laughs) and then he he finally just puts his head up to say, I don't know. I think all these people are completely nuts.
1: And I read that in an alternate, uh, take in the mental institution was Eugene Levy was in the film and he, he was Louis Tully's cousin. And so (laughs) Louis shows up there with Janine. And because he knows a guy who works there, Eugene Levy, he frees the ghostbusters. But instead, they changed it to later on where the mayor finds out. He fires the guy and then releases the Ghostbusters. Because now that Dana is captured at the museum with Oscar, all hell seeps up through the cracks. I don't know why this is timed this way but now everything's going nuts in the city. And I don't know if you've heard me before talk about on the show this one part that drives me nuts in the movie. And that's they reuse the same shot twice. And you can't tell me I'm wrong at this. I've looked at it. It the Titanic shows up. And Uh-oh. the Titan the Titanic has arrived and they show the people walking out the ghosts and Cheech Marin's like, "Huh? With another guy?" later on when they're in the statue of liberty walking across the harbor you know yeah they show cheech Marin do that same huh? scene from <laughs> earlier in the movie they just reuse the scene you can't tell me that's a different take Wait, it's the same i
2: say thing. i saying that was a just the same angle different take or same exact shot
1: same exact shot like editing room magic they're like hey just grab grab me that scene over there okay here we go oh perfect magic <mwah> works perfectly I'm just saying that it's a little awkward because I recognize they, in a big blockbuster motion picture released by a major studio, they used the same shot for a different scene. And I just think it's hilarious. That's something you do in like indie movies, you know?
2: Am I crazy? But, 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 but sometimes you maybe just flip the shot, like just yeah. make something a little flip different it. about or, it. Maybe, you know, tint it a little more this way or that way.
1: They tried to trick it up a little bit. It's zoomed in a little bit, but I swear it's the same shot. Did you notice that?
2: I did not notice that. (laughs) I did not. And you know what? Doesn't put a dent in this movie, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) That's not not even not even a scratch. (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay, now let me say this: when the slime rises up through the, and the montage begins, cue Glenn Fry's Flip City. What the hell is Glenn Fry with a song in Ghostbusters 2?
2: Well, it has the word city in the title, Jason, like you belong to the city.
1: Is this a good song? No. Does it belong in a Ghostbusters movie? No. I'd rather they play the Run DMC song again. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. There is a good gag in this montage, though, and that's the lady's mink coat.
2: I thought that was funny. I think I think we're doing like uh, the Ghostbusters one redux a little bit, where we're setting up the big finish, and it's like
1: that we, song that they... they played in the <laughs> Ghostbusters one during the montage was better, didn't you think?
2: Uh, dun, dun 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 You mean that one? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I'll believe it's magic. I'll believe it's magic. You mean that yeah, song? Yeah, yeah. that
1: yeah. song. And then okay. Dana's apartment explodes, kind of. That.
2: Yeah, but I, but again, no laughs. Not funny. Yeah, you know, it's just stuff happening. The, the mink coat The coat was funnier, you
1: know? I did read that the mink coat gag they wrote for the first film couldn't use it, so they wrote it in the second film. Hey, let's do that mink coat gag.
2: Also, and, and, and the Titanic, I just like how they just throw that away in two shots. Lieutenant, I think you better talk to this guy.
3: I'm busy here. It's some doc supervisor down at Pier 34. What's the problem? He says the Titanic just arrived.
2: Oh. literally late than never. Yeah, I... The gag, the gag, they just... A lot of throwaways. I think in this movie, I think in Ghostbusters 2, the big gags, most of them don't work. Yeah. Uh, you know, except for things like the train, the ghost train that works. Uh, but most of the big gags don't work. But all the little gags uh, well, work, I, I would say, work much better than in Ghostbusters 1. Here's
1: what makes no sense about the Titanic arriving. <laughs> The slime is in New York. Where is the Titanic sunk at? Why did the Titanic rise and arrive? Where? Why is the? Why did the slime bring the Titanic back? That makes no sense to me. But whatever.
2: But the but I thought the image of the Titanic was extraordinarily historically accurate. The giant hole and <laughs> it was it was exactly there. I right? do like
1: the ghosts with their bags. Like finally we've arrived. <laughs> they've they've got their ghost luggage.
2: I think when James Cameron was making The Abyss, when he saw Ghostbusters 2, he said, Damn it! Damn it! Those. Oh, now I'm gonna make my own movie!
1: If you uh, read, like, Ghostbusters 10 Top 10 Facts or something like that, I don't know why there's Top 10. The Archway Monster scene where all the people are running and screaming, New York those were fans they called fans if you want to be in the movie come out here and they all ran and screaming so those are all fans of ghostbusters they got
2: oh and, and now and now oh oh unlike in ghostbusters one when you have the ghostbusters arriving at the at the apartment building and all the fans of bill murray are gathered around the crowd and they he actually goes and shakes their hands yeah in in the movie he says yeah hey we're the ghostbusters and he's shaking the thing and they're cheering ghostbusters ghostbusters all the fans of the actors are there to cheer the actors and the actors in, in the movie. We
1: can't wait to see what this movie is. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, the mayor wants to know where the Ghostbusters are. It's pandemonium out yes, there. Yes, I, I know. We're working on it.
3: Great. Well, you're working on it. I'm going down in history as the mayor who let New York get sucked down into the 10th level of hell. All right. We've got no choice. Call the Ghostbusters. Wait. Uh, now, I'm, I'm sure there's another way. Jack. I spent an hour last night in my bedroom talking to Fiorello Laguardia, and he's been dead for forty years. Now,
1: where are the Ghostbusters? Did you Google that name?
2: No, Here's, he was—he was—he was mayor of New York. They have a, a whole airport named after him. Yep. Laguardia <laughs> he's Airport. He's the
1: guy that Laguardia Airport's named after. Okay, there's yep. a glowing light in the sky for some reason. I thought maybe because they had it in the first film, they need it in the second film, right?
2: I guess. Yeah. Here, a
1: miraculous thing happens here when they're like, Mr. Mayor, everybody look, and there's a glowing light in the sky. Mr. Mayor, come take a look at this. Wow. Oh, what is it? Have you ever
2: seen anything like that? <laughs>
3: Somebody get me the Ghostbusters.
2: Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. A
1: Bobby Brown's song comes back. <laughs> Why does the song come back?
2: Wait, I thought I thought you were gonna say I've never see, I thought you were gonna complain about the fact that they did see something like that before five years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well I did write this. Lewis tells them that Vigo has Oscar and Dana uh, Dana's at the museum, so the Ghostbusters are gonna have to take control. And that's my notes there. I thought (laughs) that was brilliant because we got the Bobby Brown song as they arrive at the museum. Everyone's cheering them on. By the way, they don't really play this out very well, but I believe this is new year's, right? Like I said earlier,
2: it is Christmas time because they have a Santa Claus in one scene and there's a Christmas tree in Benkman's apartment.
1: But remember they played all in sign at the end of the
2: movie.
1: Uh. So that would mean it's new year's, right? I guess. Not
2: necessarily. Uh, I, on New Year's Eve, they don't they don't hang around Statue of Liberty. They hang around Times Square.
1: Well, they're not. Remember, they're at the museum. They're all gathered around the museum.
2: Right, which because, is uh, which is on the, which is on the west side, not near Times Square. Because, but, uh, well, get to... Yeah, this, <laughs> I, 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 I assume that's the the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I assume that's the museum.
1: But, it looks like a giant jello mold. It looks like a giant
3: jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for Jill.
1: o
2: Yeah, that's dated. A little.
1: <laughs> I like when uh, Janos tries to sweet-talk Dana. Marry me, Dana. Together we will raise vehicle as our
3: son. Now let me tell you something here. There are many perks in being the mother of a living god. I'm sure we could get a magnificent uh, apartment, car, free parking...
1: I like that he sells her on this life of Vigo taking over her baby is they could get some free parking in New York. That's like pretty priceless, right?
2: It is pretty priceless. And I
1: like how she plays along. And I thought they could have played that up a little bit more, but they're in a hurry. You know, a cut. Okay, we got it. Okay. I,
2: like, I, I, I have a note here. All right. I'll see your crappy uh, Archway, uh, Washington Square Archway crap monster shot. I'll see I'll see you that and I'll... I'll, I'll I'll raise you this, which is the shot of Dana going to the museum. And you remember this shot? It's quite a long take. Uh, it's like a steady cam shot of her going up the stairs. And there's wind and there's paper flying everywhere. And she's going up the stairs. And then she looks back and then continues forward, looks back again, continues forward. I thought, oh, my God, this is this is worthy of Alien, this shot. <laughs> did, did you think so?
1: What do you think? Second unit director did that?
2: Well, you have Larry McConkie doing steady cam, you have Michael Chapman, cinematographer. I mean, and you have Ivan Reitman asleep at the video monitor. So I, you know probably I, mean? I also <laughs> noticed
1: after after Oscar is taken by Ghost Yanosh, it's all like shaky cam. Have you noticed that? It's all <laughs> frantic shaky cam in the apartment. She's like, Oh my god, they're going to the museum. I gotta get to the museum and you're like uh it's all played like a different movie in that one scene all shaky cam it was weird i was like did paul greengrass do this one scene in the movie
2: <laughs> but in general the cinematography of ghostbusters 2 does have a looser feel than ghostbusters 1 which i just can't i think ghostbusters 1 they have the wrong cinematographer László kovacs who is who, who he likes to compose frames which is not good for comedy you want to have a freer frame. You want you want to be able yeah, to yeah. have a little movement, you know. And I think even though it is a scope film, Ghostbusters 2, it's got that wide scope frame. Uh, it feels a little looser. It feels a little more uh, dynamic.
1: Just think if this film could have been directed by someone other than Ivan Reitman.
2: I know, right? Get Tim Burton and Elmer Bernstein. That's the first you name
1: on my out of my. You know, I was thinking Tim Burton. But he was busy with w- Batman at the time. <laughs> That's when Bo Welch was free, he was like, I don't need you on Batman. Go do Ghostbusters. <laughs> I got Anton first.
2: Yeah, he did the sort of the arc direction.
1: Okay, they can't get through the jello mold and everyone boos them. And they need positive energy to break through. They need something that everyone can rally around. He's right. We need something that everyone in
3: this town can get behind. We need
0: A symbol. Something that appeals to the best in each and every one of us. Something good.
2: Something decent.
3: Something pure.
2: Okay, now, now, Jason, just so we know where the score is, okay? Because I know we're heading into the trough here. This, We're heading into the trough. The wheels are coming off this movie, all right? In terms of what we've seen so far, we're, let's say Ghostbusters 1, you know, you're, let's say we're at about like 80 out of 100 in total. Okay. Ghostbusters 2, now we're at about a 110. So Ghostbusters 2 so far is probably a third better than Ghostbusters 1. Just so we know where we are right now. From now on with the Statue of Liberty, things are going to start sliding back. Okay. Okay. But I think we're going to rest just above Ghostbusters 1. But we are sliding back now. We are heading into the what I think is the legitimately crappy part of this film. But but in fairness, though, we are ahead of Ghostbusters 1 at this point, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just have one question about the Statue of Liberty. Whether she's naked under that toga? She's French. You know that. Okay, I'll say this about the Statue of Liberty part. I think the effects of walking through New York actually look decent. Mm. uh the Nintendo controller I think is funny yeah. just for like I think at the time when I saw it I was like oh it's cooler using a Nintendo controller the fighting controller you know you'd play Street Fighter or something
2: and a Sony, a Sony Walkman
1: yes of course gotta have Sony Columbia right
2: so that would it. happen and that would happen about uh, four months later the deal <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> that's funny so would you call that predictive? product placement yeah it's kind of
1: like when you go back and watch there was an episode of the muppet show where mark hamill hosted it and it ends with him singing when you wish upon a star at the end like the entire cast of muppets and mark hamill and you just kind of go whoa (laughs) like disney was like i shall own you all one day that's kind of the feeling you get from watching that so it's kind of like that right
2: yeah, and uh, and the cassette player that was in the birthday party scene was also a Sony cassette player. That's
1: right. It's kind of like now in modern-day Sony movies, everyone has a Sony phone. And no one has a Sony phone in real life anywhere. I've never seen anyone with a Sony phone.
2: <laughs> or a Vio, or a vial laptop, which no longer exists. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so the Statue of Liberty part, good or bad?
2: Conceptually, could have been better, because... Like you say, it was supposed to be about something good, something positive, something that people would get behind.
1: Also, they need something giant to uh, rival the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man of the first film. <laughs>
2: However, as good as the effects are, if I was on a street corner in New York and a giant statue starts walking down towards me...
1: You run in
2: terror? I don't feel positive emotions.
1: (laughs) Yes! They're even saying, come on everybody, higher and higher! I'm like, can they hear you? Uh, Do they know what... Did they know your plan, Ghostbusters? Like... Hey guys, we're gonna go get the Statue of Liberty. We'll be right back. Everyone, stay positive. We're running out of time, Ray.
3: Can't you go any faster? I'm afraid the vibrations will shake her to pieces. We should have patted her feet. I don't think they make Nike's in her size, Ray. Oh, don't worry, she's tough. She's a harbor chick.
2: I understand what you mean. And they didn't do enough with it. To think what could have been done with that. Just like with the Stay Fuck Marshmallow Man, they could have had something much more with Statue of Liberty. A little more kung fu, a little more, you know, uh stuff shooting out of the torch. You know this is is also take that book and beat it beat beat Vigo over the head with the book, you know.
1: This is the climax of the film and they cut to Lewis Tolley back at the firehouse suiting up to be a Ghostbuster. It almost felt like the movie was like, oh wait, shouldn't we have Lewis doing something? He's one of the characters in the movie.
2: And, and you know what? The great moment. I think this is a great moment. When Lewis is with Janine and he's all suited up and he's about to go. And she's like, she's hanging on to him like, you're my hero. And then he says to her, I was born to wear this stuff. And he grabs her and kisses her like Ash in Army of Darkness. to wear this stuff. He could be this whole more interesting part of the movie.
1: Well, that's what's funny is like I even watching it in 1989, I knew that there would be a Ghostbusters three, and that Lewis would be a Ghostbuster. I just knew it, but it never happened. So it's quite tragic now when you watch it. But Lewis does get to catch a bus with Slimer.
0: Oh, it's you.
3: it's you. Okay, but I didn't know you had your license.
2: Oh, things I wish never happened. Things, just erase that. Just erase it. it did, that didn't happen, Jason.
1: So he didn't get picked up in a bus by Slimer?
2: No, that just didn't happen. No, didn't happen. That didn't see it.
1: it. I think if they
2: were going to have I'll Slimer take your word for it. Didn't movie, see it.
1: <laughs> if Slimer was going to be in this movie, they should have made him a full-blown character. <laughs> like, talking to... Lewis. And it should have been whenever anyone else entered the room, the ghost would disappear and uh, they would go, who are you talking to? He goes, Oh, nobody. So just do that. Like Slimer <laughs> only appears to Lewis when that have been great. Okay. Didn't happen.
2: Or No. Or how about this? How about no Slimer? <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> how about true. nothing at all from now, Slimer?
1: When they, when the statue of Liberty, they rappel down through the skylight. I do think that's a pretty good shot by the way of them rappelling down on the ropes it works it's a a well composed shot of what is the technical term the uh
2: are we looking up or down
1: we're looking up at the statue of liberty through the skylight uh, lo- low angle yeah nice <laughs> low angle there and they rappel down and i do think it's funny because janos he's driving me nuts at this point when they go hose him.
0: happy new
1: year his beagle. you're like the buzzing of flies to him
3: Oh Johnny, did you back the wrong horse? Can you hose him, please? Hose him.
1: And they just hose him off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but before that, but before that, remember he tells Dana that cause because uh, she's doubting, you know, the power of Vigo mm-hmm. and and he tells her that's not Gainsborough's blue boy.
3: You stay away from him. I mean it. Well, I don't think we have a choice here. Yes. Take a look.
1: It's not Gainsborough's blue boy there. huh? is <laughs> Viggo. Yeah, what is that?
2: It's a very well-known painting about, like, it's basically a boy dressed in blue clothing. And if you look at that painting from, like, uh you can almost see the blue from, you know, a 100 feet away. Because the blue is the brightest thing in the painting. Yeah, it's called the Blue Boy, and uh it's just one of those paintings that it, it's like you know Rembrandt's portraits or the Mona Lisa or something. You know, he, he could have said this isn't the Mona Lisa, yeah. Why? But he said, but he said it's not Gainsborough's Blue Boy. Which, yeah. if you if you look at the Blue Boy painting, he is he is so correct. <laughs> it's, not, you it know, it's like it's like the opposite.
1: That. Yeah, I had to Google that.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, so there are three references in the movie that I Googled. It was that one. It was Laguardia, and it
2: was Laura Antonelli. The,
1: yeah, Laura Antonelli. That's who I all googled in the movie. So it, it, I learned something from Ghostbusters too. That's a positive. See, course, did
2: think. you learn? Did you learn anything from Ghostbusters one? No, Hello.
1: Absolutely nothing.
2: And this, this, I think, speaks to the amount of because I, I doubt those lines were scripted. You know, right. a, a lot of the good stuff in Ghostbusters one is improv, but not a lot of it is is really uh, as sharp.
1: Well, there's the scene where they they hosed down Janos and they go...
2: One down. On the ground.
1: And I'm like, why are we rhyming
2: all of a sudden? <laughs> You're only seeing the badness at this point, Jason. You're <laughs> okay. blind I will to, say to, this.
1: Ghostbusters 2, I watched it again today, this morning. I liked it more than I did yesterday. Okay? But I will say this, and this is a weakness in Ghostbusters 1. The climactic battles in these films... Are terrible. They don't work. There's no sense of danger except to have a baby in peril, right? And the fights are over so quickly, and the, mo- the, en- the movie ends so quickly, doesn't it? Did were you ever did you ever feel threatened by Vigo at all?
2: Not when the Ghostbusters are taunting him so freely, like <laughs> even Ray. I mean, you figure, okay, Venkman, he might. He might be showing some nerve by saying, you know, oh, Vigo. If you
3: had brain one in that huge melon on top of your neck, you would be living the sweet life out in Southern California's
1: beautiful San Fernando Valley.
2: What the hell? That
1: was an improv scene, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, and I've known a lot of dumb blondes in my time, but you, you know. But not only that, but Ray says to him,
1: hold
0: it right there, deadhead! You want a baby? Go ahead and knock up some willing hellhound. Otherwise, I'm giving you three to get back in that painting where you belong.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they're just they're just such brats. The Ghostbusters—they're not intimidated at all.
1: The Ghostbusters—the only reason they win this battle is because the f- people outside started singing. <laughs>
3: Singing coming
2: from people outside. Right? <laughs> Sorry, folks. Excuse me. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. It yeah, Jason. Now we're down to Ghost. Like now you're dragging yeah. back Ghostbusters 2 from what used to be the uh, the high ascendancy of 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 sequels. Now it's you're you're dragging it down into the muck. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I I really wish that didn't happen either. No, it just didn't happen, Jason. Didn't happen. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. That was. It was a different version of the film I watched,
2: but it was. It was like like everyone saw Scrooge and thought, you know, that movie didn't do so well. Why don't we repeat the end of that movie where everyone is singing like a Christmas song? Yeah, (laughs) because that was so much fun on the set.
1: When Lewis (laughs) shows up and he uh, proton packs—I don't know what you call it—he shoots the Jello mold. And it lifts up as they defeat Vigo and they're all like, Hey man, good job. And he's like, Thanks. I like that scene because they gave yeah. uh, Lewis, uh, this kind of mo- heroic moment, even though he really didn't do anything there. He just thinks he did. But I do like the part where Ray, he gets possessed again because I guess earlier in the movie he did. Remember we talked about that. I like the line where they go, um, Ray? Ray? We'd like to shoot the monster. Could you move, please? Ray?
3: Ray? Ray! No! I, Ray, am Vivo. I'm the Legal. Be calm! You, you pitiful!
2: I do and like it's that. done really well. It's shot really well because uh, Egon, who says that, is in the background and, and raising the foreground, like drooling at the camera. And, you know, Egon <laughs> is just very an- anxiously like, can we shoot the monster, please? Can you move aside? Yeah.
1: Also, <laughs> when Vigo goes back in the painting and his face starts morphing and stuff, that's the, like the first time in the movie they're like, hey, do you want to try some of these newfangled CGI effects or in other <clears throat> movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like- let's do that here. Did it feel like they did that
2: there? Yeah, it was like that movie. What was that terrible film? Um, Robocop 2. Oh, the...
1: yeah. And, and the little <laughs> LCD screen is like Kane's digitized face. I remember
2: that. Yeah. Hey. And you know, it's dead when the, when the CGI face like dematerialized, yeah, so... like it depixelates. <laughs> yeah, he like
1: flies off screen, like, Whoa, uh, like, oh, okay. He flew off the, uh, the game board there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they do this, like, vapor trail. Like, they do this double exposure on it to make it seem like he's, like, he's he's in between dimensions or something. Like, oh, God.
1: Here's what I think is funny. Okay, they hose Ray. At the same time, they shoot the top corners of the painting because they can't shoot Ray, who's in front of it. Right. And the head of Vigo explodes, falls back in the painting, explodes. Nothing happens to the canvas at all, by the way. <laughs> It's proton laser proof. I don't, what are prozon, proton beam proof? Like nothing happens to the canvas. I just have one question for you, Ken. And this is the whole reason I wanted to do this show.
2: All right. I'm ready.
1: Who painted the painting of the Ghostbusters at the end? Who was responsible for the painting? Did the slime do it?
2: Uh, what painting? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Jason. I don't remember I a painting. don't
1: get this part of the movie at all.
3: Hey, fellas. You want to take a look at this? Wow. <laughs> Early Renaissance, I think. Raphael or Piero della Francesca? <laughs> no, I believe it's one of
1: the Fettuccines. Hey, guys, what if we had a painting of the Ghostbusters at the end and Oscar was there? Oh, yeah, you mean, let's do that.
2: Yeah, who painted that? I think, yes, I think they painted it when they did the, the, what do you call it, the phaser. What, what the hell is it when they, the streaming, the stream and the, and the goo at the same time? They, that, their, their proton beams did it. It's, it's somehow the, the collective energy and substance like mutated into this, like, um. They could uh, have
1: explained this better. Like, remember when they had the toaster dancing for them when they play the good music? What if the slime started to like them and made sounds like, or something like that, like a little schmooze?
2: Yes, yes. The paint, the paint itself became emotionally triggered yes. into, posi- into positivity.
1: That's what we kind of can spell it out for ourselves, but it's completely ridiculous, is it not?
2: So, so if the paint, no, 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 no. Now we know the answer to the question. It painted, <laughs> itself, it painted itself. It painted itself.
1: The canvas would not have been destroyed by the proton beams
2: (laughs) by the way okay it's a pan-dimensional canvas
1: (laughs) they're heroes again they save the day oscar's safe he was only possessed for a few seconds by vigo's face right why is the statue of liberty now knocked over i ask myself that every time (laughs) i see the movie it was standing up over the museum what knocked it over
2: you know what's so funny about that shot though i don't know if they were doing a callback to planet of the apes
1: yeah that's what i'm thinking
2: but I, just seeing it there, like, why is it? Why do we even have to see it there? It's a pile of rubble.
1: Why does that have to be in the shot? And also, it makes me think something I don't want to think, and which is, how did they get it back? Did they go back in, spray it down, play the music again, and walk back? Or did they have helicopters lifted on a big crane with wires? Because during the end credits, you see that Saturality is back in place.
2: Wait, what? Oh, at the end of the movie, right, the final shot, the yeah. the very New Yorkie shot. Um, OK, here's 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 my theory. Uh, the last shot of the New York of the idealized New York actually was not in continuity of the story. It was actually like I would say an expressionistic vision of the New York that could be and that now is as a result of what we just saw. So, in other words, we are seeing the idealized New York at the end. That is not the one that is in the story.
1: Okay. All right.
2: <laughs> almost, almost like how in, you know, in, in like Lawrence of Arabia, the desert is an idealized kind of abstract space, you know, of, uh, of mystery. And, you know, it, it represents more than it actually is in reality in the story, you know. So yeah. we're not seeing the real New York at the end. We're seeing an idealized version, just like the painting of the four Ghostbusters. Everything's perfect now, including New York.
1: Do you know what the worst uh, part of the ending is? <laughs> we get the Ghostbusters theme for a second, but then they cue up the Run-DMC song again. <laughs> Why do we have to hear that song again? How do- uh, When you first bought the soundtrack back in 1989, what did you think of the Run-DMC song?
2: <laughs> I never bought... The soundtrack to Ghostbusters Two. It's so like I said, that's one thing uh, I would swap. If I could swap one thing, I would swap the sound. I would swap Who Did and the soundtrack and, and all of the songs in the soundtrack.
1: Can I ask you this though? Sure. Did you buy the Prince Batman soundtrack? Yes. Ah, yes. So did I. I owned it on cassette, and I don't know why. But did you get the Danny Elfman soundtrack also?
2: That- Not only did I get that soundtrack, but I got the double album that came out uh, two years later, and then I got the special nice. three three CD uh, a version of it uh, many years later. Yeah. Excellent. And in fact, this is interesting. In the past, I, I, in the past couple days, I'm playing back Batman Arkham Knight, the video game.
1: Oh, nice.
2: And I'm playing this game with the with the Danny Elfman music in my head. And uh, and that music, I feel like uh, in that summer of 1989. Batman the movie itself, I could take it or leave it. That soundtrack though I think is historic.
1: If you watch Tim Burton's Batman without the soundtrack, that movie is pretty stale, man.
2: Yes. And, and you know what? Batman Returns, that soundtrack is even better.
1: Yeah, it is fantastic, yeah.
2: And and it and that movie needs it even more because you've got too many characters in that movie. Batman I mean, I love the Returns. movie. I think Batman Returns is better than Batman.
1: I do, I uh, do too. I agree with you. Yeah.
2: But the only thing tying it to... Like, Batman, the first one, had the origin story. You had that mythology. That was tying the movie together. It's with Batman thing. with Batman Returns, the only thing tying that movie together was that music.
1: That's yeah. what's funny is, like, we just talked about Ghostbusters 2, and we're talking about Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's so funny, because that happened in 1989, Ken. After we saw Ghostbusters two, they were like, "Okay, that's down." Batman's next week, and that's the exact same same thing happened. Batman. So, what have we learned today, Ken?
2: <laughs> well, look, I, I, there are there are, there are just uh, I can wrap I can wrap up my end of things with a statement that I I hope ties things together. Uh, you did mention some things that I hadn't thought of before, but they actually make me think even more of this movie than than before i think this is a special sequel in that not only is it better than ghostbusters 1 but in a way that other sequels are not better than the original and uh and if you look at sequels you look at this time of sequels you can call it the golden age of the sequel the 80s and 90s where every hit movie just had another one with a number on the end of it you know Uh, most of them are crap right but some of them are better and the thing about it is, the ones that are better, they're they're better usually because other people made them. Like Star Trek 2 uh, or Empire Strikes Back. Like those right. are those are made by other people and they brought something more to to the to those movies than the original directors did. The ones that were made by the same director, I feel like the only the ones that are better than the original are because of the director. Yeah. And I would add something like The Road Warrior to that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, the sequels that are better than the original, usually it's because the director got to do what he what what they wanted to do that they couldn't do in the first one. With Ghostbusters 2, I feel like it's better than the original because of the people who are on the screen. I just want to watch these people and and, and they seem to be able to do more, to be more. I feel like the characters are a little more vivid, a little more alive. And in Ghostbusters 1, I feel like there's so much setup. There's so much and we're trying to make things so normal-seeming. And for a while, there's good contrast between the normal world and what's going on with the ghosts. But uh, but then after a while, it just goes out of control, and it just doesn't make sense. Though with Ghostbusters too, I feel like they just started with the premise of nothing makes sense. We're just going to do what we want. And what we see is what they wanted to do, more than what we saw in the first one. Uh, and I'd just rather watch that than watch a, than watch something like Ghostbusters 1, which is, I know it's a classic and it is more important, but it is a bit of a chore, you know, to sit through it. Uh And that's sort of where I am on this. Like, uh, I'm not saying, like, if you had to boil it down to essential craft, like, as craft, is Ghostbusters 2 better. To me, that's not even the issue. The issue is, which one do I want to watch more? And I would rather see Ghostbusters 2 than Ghostbusters 1. That's all.
1: That's fair. And I got to say this because, you know, I've said some mean things about Ghostbusters 2 in the past. Uh, but having uh, watched it recently, again, kind of with a, a very just a watchful eye in a way where I want to pick out things. What's not working for me or what is? I see some things that I like in the film. And, you know, I can't blame the effects of the time because it's 1989. ILM, they did some good work, but I know they were rushed. They actually wanted to push the date. I'd read that uh, Ivan Reitman said, can we have June 23rd? And they said, no, that's Batman. And they were like, oh, so they said, how about this was supposed to come out two weeks before Batman. It came out a week before Batman because they pushed the date. Just thinking of it from a filmmaking point of view and how much pressure they were under because the Ghostbusters was a huge hit for them. They made this comedy movie with some comedy guys about guys who catch ghosts, and they had a blockbuster on their hands all of a sudden, right? So this mm. was like a huge follow-up. The fact that they got something interesting in some way, I think the most interesting thing about this film is the setup they gave their characters. I think the Vigo stuff isn't that interesting, though. I, th- I like the idea of the slime, and that contributes to why New Yorkers are the way they are. It would be interesting if they're like, this slime has been here this whole time, since the beginning of time. It would be funny if the slime actually turned positive and they show like a little montage of New York and how it's like insanely positive. Like people are skipping. People are like helping old ladies across the road and like people are, you know, it's like this Shangri-La all of a sudden and it's kind of this ridiculous ending. I don't know. Maybe I'm going too far with this, but that would have been funny. I guess I just keep thinking of what ifs. How could this be better? And I guess you could do that with any film. But I gotta say this. I hate the film less than I did before. Oh. Before I watched it these last two days.
2: Wow. Really? I
1: hate it less.
2: You hate it less. I will take that. <laughs> I will take that. I, I feel victorious. Yes. <laughs> I have triumphed over a modicum of hate.
1: I still don't like (laughs) Yanosh.
2: Oh, God, Yanosh!
1: I do think Peter McNichol just needed to dial it back again, but he has some funny moments, funny lines in the movie that almost get, like, you have to watch the movie multiple times to pick up what he's saying.
2: Well, when when he's uh, picked up at the end of the movie and he's slimed all over, he says, I am drippings with goo. Why
0: am I drippings with goo? You had a violent, prolonged, transformative psychic episode. Sorry we had to hose you there, but you were kind of out of control. (laughs)
1: Yes. I like (laughs) when Ray goes,
0: Hey, man, let me tell you something. I love you.
1: Yes? Yeah.
2: Well,
3: I love you, too.
2: (laughs) Right. Wow. Now, come on, Jason. How many movies end with I love you? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And you know, Jason, I got to say, no, not, not really gonna say. <laughs> <I> no, no, I'm going to say, I love you <Ken. laughs> I love you too, Jason.
1: I'm glad that you made me watch this film again. I still don't understand ghost Janos, but besides that, uh,
2: I simply don't understand the statue on the ground at the, I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it, it's just the 80s blockbuster, I guess. Yeah. You know, it, you it can it do this all day long.
1: Culture, like, wouldn't it have crushed some people if the Statue of Liberty fell over? <laughs> there were a lot of people around that building.
2: Okay, I have one final statement about Ghostbusters too. For me, uh, it says it all. Like what Peter Venkman says about his laundry.
3: I have more than two grades of laundry, okay? There's not just clean and dirty. There are many subtle levels, okay? <laughs> Hey, you hang this outside the window for 20 minutes. It's perfectly
2: fine. Uh, I don't see sequels as just having two grades, yes. which are uh, <laughs> good and bad. I think there are many subtle levels.
1: Yes. I did agree with him on the laundry thing. I, I have that saying, <laughs> this shirt isn't dirty. I'm hanging it on this hook
2: because I can wear it tomorrow. Yes. And, and you know what? This movie, this movie, you know, it's got some dirt on it, but you can hang it outside for 20 minutes and it's just fine.
1: I will you know, say this. When I watch the film now, I remember that time I recorded a show with Ken all about it.
2: you always remember your first. So this is the first sequel version of, uh, of, the, of the movie minis. <laughs> and we are, we are just too hot to handle and too cold to hold. That's right. This was a great time, Jason. I had a great time talking about this. Thanks. Uh, a, a great time talking about a sequel no one, no one wants to discuss. We go where gods fear to tread.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
2: But even if no one's changed their minds, I hope they at least enjoyed listening to this because uh, I, I sure enjoyed having it.
1: Me too, Ken. It's always good to talk to you about film, even if it's Ghostbusters too.
2: <laughs> well, cool.
3: I ain't afraid of no ghosts. That's all the time we've got for this week on World of the Psychic. Next week, though, give me Ira. Careless pets. Weird. Until then, this is Peter Vickman saying, (laughs) See you then.
1: Now this is podcasting.
0: My best to the coven. This podcast is part of the Pop Syndicate Valley. For more criminally compelling shows,
1: articles and conversations, head to wearepodsyndica.com.